0: Every species can smell its own extinction. Last ones left won't have a pretty time with it. In ten years, maybe less, the human race will just become a bedtime story for their children. A podcast. Nothing more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's good. I, I think, unfortunately, those words might be true. The world, the world probably ends with a podcast now, right? Oh, well, that's it? It's just you know a few episodes of people being like, all right, wrapping up. Yeah. In one way or another. I'm saying either like a podcast is directly responsible for our extinction or the final thing put out there is a podcast episode. They get the final word. Maybe both. I don't know. Look, if we're lucky, it's us. Right? We cause mass extinction. We'll be the ones who finish it off. Right. And then we also get to do a recap podcast explaining how we ended humanity. Mm Mm-hmm. That's the hope. Mm-hmm.
1: People st- people start listening to Blank Check, and then they go around axe murdering people. That's what you're hoping for.
0: That's the kind of breakthrough success that I think has eluded <laughs> us so far. It's I think word of mouth, word of mouth, <laughs> and that's a viral sensation. You create an epidemic of uh, mental instability. All right, All okay. right. I shouldn't have started okay. us on this road. I started. It was the I picked the quote. World's ended, David. I don't know if you know about it. And this is Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. And it's a podcast about filmographies. Directors who have massive success early on in their careers are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. And sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce, baby. And this is a mini series on the films of John Carpenter. Today we're talking about In the Mouth of Madness. Now, I don't know if you had the same sort of feeling as me, David. What's that? But- Neither of us had seen this or uh Prince of Darkness before starting this series, correct? Right. And I feel like those are the two that people were kind of telling us like, get ready, get ready for that one. The the other apocalypse trilogy movies, yes. Right. We're yeah. sort of seen as the hidden gems, I think are the ones that have been reclaimed more only in the last couple of years. A yeah. couple whatever yes, 10 whatever yes. you know what i'm saying yeah um yeah. but i uh these were the two i was really looking forward to and i i th- i think i prefer this to prince of darkness not that it needs to be a competition but i i know it seems like you liked prince of darkness more than i did and people in general seem to be really jamming on prince of darkness right now this was my shit this movie is my shit um i like this
1: more than prince of darkness but i love them wow wow yeah Okay. But I mean, no, this movie's yeah. incredible. Yeah, this movie
0: rolls. Yeah. Yeah. Uh our guest yeah. is silently giving thumbs up because she agrees with the analysis so far. But but she's she also invited just talk. to talk. She could talk. She could talk. Just 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 weigh in. You can say anything you want. And then we introduce you. This is the weird backwards way in which we do things.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um fuck yeah, is what mm-hmm. I say towards in the math of madness. I this is like top two carpenter for me. Like, I like really mm. love this movie. And I just had, you know, sometimes you're really lucky. You have, like, a great first watch experience. Yeah. I had the luck of seeing this at Music Box here in Chicago. A lovely,
1: um, incredible theater.
2: Lovely, amazing theater. My favorite in Chicago. And they showed this a couple years ago for their Music Box of Horrors, their, like, overnight marathon of horror movies. I tapped out at, like, 4 a.m. though. I was like I'm going home. But I was lucky enough to get to see in the Mouth of Madness for the first time there and like I didn't really know much about it. I knew it was Carpenter and I was like oh I'll probably enjoy it, but this isn't one much, you know, many people have talked about. And I was like holy shit, this is so up my alley. This is so I agree. For moi.
1: Mm-hmm. Have you have you seen Prince of Dark like do you like yeah. Prince of Darkness? Prince I do. Darkness I is good. It. It's good vibes, but yes, this is so wait, in this marathon, where did it fall? Like, yeah, was it that's like, my question. Yeah, it was yeah, very, like how, it was
2: later in the evening, perfect. if I'm remembering. Mm, like, yeah. it may have been even like a midnight screening. So your sort your brain's
0: already a little scrambled, which is good. I feel like I feel yeah. like the for right context for this movie is oh, you're totally. hours into questioning what horror is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Right, and and fighting, uh, you know, uh, consciousness, trying to stay awake. Yeah. Um. Our guest today uh, from from Vulture is Angelica Jade Bastian, uh, who who very I mean you very passionately and quickly I feel like we reached out to you very early. I, on. I, I was like you got a Carpenter and you you
1: you had a Carpenter yeah. right away. You were like we I want him. Like the Madness.
0: My my point is just that we gave you a pretty complete list of the movies. Like very early on when Carpenter won our March Madness thing, we were like Angelica, this feels like a great uh, opportunity to get her on. Long overdue. And and you picked this immediately without mm-hmm. a backup.
2: Yeah. I mean, I know there's probably Carpenter films that are more precise in certain ways, like the thing. Sure. Right. And have a more uh, a different sort of fun energy, like they live, but like this one just really hits the spot for me. Because it's doing a few things that I really find interesting. Also, doing the whole a writer as God thing, yep. kind of great for my ego. It's like, yes, we <laughs> are, aren't we? We are the center of the universe, okay?
1: We, we think it and it happens.
2: In, yes. in,
0: that, in that canon, and it's obviously a film that I and very few others defend, this is a more successful, let's say conventionally successful... Are you, you going to say Lady in the Water? Correct. I knew it was gonna be. If the you're water. Yep. But it is. There's. I mean, they're they're very different movies in practice, but they're stemming from similar ideas.
2: Okay. Well. All right. <laughs> in a broad, in a very broad sense,
0: um, this is obviously a more successful movie.
2: Leaps and bounds.
0: Yeah. And, and, but just movies about
1: like the 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 power of artistry, positive right. and negative like it's yes, it's just it's yes. a great subgenre but it it certainly has the risk of being in in a Lady of the water way like you can feel back patty or you know kind of mm. you know up its own ass or you know like I mean like, maybe a
0: good choice that John Carpenter didn't cast himself to play Sutter Kane That would be a, that'd be a good choice oh, That's, right. That, right. that's mm. yeah <laughs> um but you know uh for
1: Carpenter as well like I mean we'll, we'll talk about it but yeah like a guy who Is it the center of like, you know, horror, like Halloween, like mixing like sex and violence and shocking people and people being like, is this allowed, you know, for like so many years to make a movie where it's like, yeah, maybe I'm maybe, you know, maybe horror movies are or horror horror art is going to
0: end the world and drive you all insane like i i love that i, I, well, that, I love yeah, him that was being this whole into this thing. yeah like that was right. that was on such a a rise in the 90s this sort of like hand wringing about uh you know the things we consume making children violent and all that sort mm-hmm. of thing. right right
2: i remember those days because i was a kiddo and i loved horror and i was like yeah look how it paid off i'm hot <laughs> smart <laughs> Accomplished. Let your kids watch horror people.
1: Start them early. Put it, Start them in early. front of the
2: mouth of madness. Yeah, put uh, them in front of the mouth of madness before they're ten. Let them know what true cinema is. I saw Hellraiser at ten for the first time, and uh that's definitely affected some of my taste in certain places. I'll just say that. Have fun with that, kids. What, what are you talking
3: about? I'm actually good friends with Pinhead. Yeah, Ben knows pinhead, but they're just ben, you're just buds, yeah. like you're just like. Well, we just buds. we're pen pals, but in the sense that we oh. se- we send each other nails in the mail. Yeah, it's mm. pin pin pals.
0: Mm. I
2: love that. I love that for you.
0: Ben, Thank is that you. the second or third time you've made that exact joke on our <laughs> podcast? I'm going to go with second. <laughs> okay.
4: Oh. Um,
1: it's the good. The third I mean, time, it's going to be great. I can't it's wait. It's going to be even yeah. better. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's funny, Griff. Here's what I knew about In the Mouth of Madness, because mm-hmm. especially once I knew we were doing Carpenter, I'm like, I'm going to, you know, I want to go into anyone I haven't seen fairly cold. I Sam, knew Sam Neill was in it. Yeah. Mm. It's got that it's got that very oblique poster with the book opening and, you know, sort of screaming faces coming out of it. So that doesn't really do you any good.
0: It's a very specific type of 90s poster where I oh. look at it and I go, you're not doing this movie any favors, are you? Like, it's it is certain, impossible. It's t- impossible. Not only does it not successfully convey what the movie is, but you're like, I don't even know what I'm looking at. Yeah. I don't even know what this is supposed to be. If you right. see it from afar, you're like, that's just jumbled shapes.
1: But here's the other funny thing, Griff. The, the one image from this movie that I knew, is turns out, is pretty much the last image in the movie. Like I feel yes. like I've
0: seen the picture Him of the Sam Neill sitting in the movie theater yes. a thousand times. I feel like that gets, that gets memed a lot these Mm. days yes yes i i i I had forgotten it was from this yeah what i knew was pretty much what you said but uh i i knew ben's background now the the wall of monsters as it's called (laughs) i knew about that because our friend jd had talked about that how he had seen this like special effects making of tv special when he was a child Mm. and was very taken with how those monsters looked and could never remember what movie it was from. And it was Mm. largely because they are so briefly on screen and so obscured that they weren't like visually recognizable. And he just had these memories of watching full daylight in a special effects warehouse, people working on them in great detail Mm. and how good they look. So I knew that. I knew it was Sam Neill, as you said. And I knew it was like, Lovecraft inspired, and that it was about yeah, some I knew that too. Sure. blending right. of reality and fiction. I did not really know how it played out. I think I assumed that well, Sam Neill must play Lovecraft or a Lovecraft esque figure. Yeah, I didn't sure. Know but he's how the author. It unfurled. Right. Yeah. yeah, I just I said, he seems right. like a man of letters. Um, but yes, I, I knew I knew very little other than that, just the base elements. What a fucking guy, Sam Neill is. By I, the love way. Gotta, I love him.
2: We gotta love him. I
0: feel like we just gotta go right into explaining how what Sam Neill gets to this point. Run. I
1: mean, the fact that he had just. Yo, he's freak Of course, he's in Jurassic Park the year before. Right. Yo, I mean, I love him in the piano. He's not. The standout of the piano, he has a, a, the toughest role in the piano, but like mm-hmm. that, he had that the same year as yes. Jurassic Park is special. Well,
0: everyone always talks about how Spielberg had Jurassic Park and Schindler's List in the same year, but Sam Neill's quietly doing the same thing in the same year, where it's like king of art house, king of, of blockbusters, you know? Yeah, Oscars and Possession
2: and, is a good one, Possession He's Rules, in. right? Yeah. Possession oh, is so that movie.
1: You know, th- and it's funny because that came out the same year as Omen 3, which is sort of his, <laughs> like, Hollywood breakout. It's yeah. kind of the same and, thing. And He's doing, sort of, like, Right. Yeah. It's kind of the mocked, you know, horror movie, whereas The Possession, I feel like, was sort of a cult thing when it came out, and now has become, I feel like that's become a very hot movie in the last, again, it's sort of revived, and people have rediscovered mm-hmm. it. It's so good. That's funny. He's, and he just seems like a chill dude, like... To this day, like he, yeah. he seems like someone who never really chased the dollar. No, nothing. You know, you, you can chase the dollar if you want to. I, I get it, but yeah. like he kind of, you know, he was in Jurassic Park and he was like, "Cool, I'm going to do whatever I want. Like I'm not going to be in, you know, anything I don't want to be. In. Like he's such, so
0: yeah." go ahead no i was just gonna say like this movie is a pretty wild cash-in of your post jurassic park leading man status you know totally which it really is if you look at his other films in the immediate wake of jurassic park this is like the closest to him doing a studio film until event horizon which is also fucking bug nuts
2: i love event horizon
0: freak city
2: me too it fucking rules but he just made some
0: <gasps> dang ass freak movies.
2: Yeah. Oh, I bet he a I mean, freak. Ooh, what oh, what if Sam Neill's a freak? Can I, ooh, he should I put be. him on my time travel fuck list? I like, think.
0: I think.
1: Uh,
2: I'm, early I'm 90s talking. I'd like. fucking
1: now. He's I fuck got a big now. beard. He's yeah. like on a farm in Australia or whatever. He owns but a like, vineyard.
0: have you seen this, his? That's fucking, what it
1: is. He's got wine. His right, vineyard's right. incredible. And
0: I went down the rabbit hole of his social media for his vineyard, and it's fucking great. He just yeah. posts he, videos of him just saying what he thinks and feels. It's surrounded by a bunch of grapes. But that's what, Angelica, that's what I'm kind of talking around here. Like, doesn't he seem
1: quietly like a little bit of a freak, you know? right? It has to
2: be. Yeah, I'm usually good at sniffing that out in a man. It's a great skill to have as a woman who dates men. And (laughs) I think he is. I agree with you, David. I now really want to fuck Sam Neill from this (laughs) 1993. Early 90s. Yeah, early 90s Sam Neill. Time travel fuckless. <laughs> it, Everybody should have it. Just. It's
1: funny. And Griff, yes, we can talk a little, Neil. It's funny. But like, he's obviously, he's from, is he from New Zealand? He's, he's Irish. from New Zealand. He's and Irish. Well, he was born, in, born right. in Ireland, but he moved right. to, New, New he he to New Zealand. He moves to New Zealand. Correct. Uh, but so obviously he he works down there. Uh, uh, he somehow, oh, what? It, uh, he broke into European productions with the help of James Mason? Correct. How did he know James Mason?
0: I don't know. Okay. I, I did a deep dive on him recently. I have to re-familiarize myself here. Apparently James Mason sort of brought him into
1: Hollywood and got him the omen role. Huh. And uh, he's in possession. Of this, But then he's in this TV show called Riley Ace of Spies right. that was what helped him almost get Bond. He was almost right. Bond hmm. and Timothy Dalton got it instead. Which I feel like it probably breaks out Okay for Sam Neil, you know, like I don't know if uh, Sam yes, Neil yes. would have been a perfect, bo- you know, and he might have gotten boxed
0: in by it, like a lot of people do. Like I don't know. um I'm gonna find this quote here that JJ, our researcher, pulled up. um Sam Neil, I, I will read this quote while you sort of look around, Griff. Like he liked
1: playing villains. He said, "I like playing bad guys, characters with moral ambiguity. They're easier to play." Uh, Good guys, often amorphous, not well delineated. Bad guys have psychological defects. You know, like he he obviously just, he comes to Hollywood. He's happy to work here, but he's drawn to stranger parts. Mm. Uh, And it's, I feel like even in Jurassic Park, where he's playing a good hearted guy, he kind of makes Alan Grant. You know, he tries to make Alan Grant as weird as he can, I guess, mm-hmm. because, like, there's that yeah. scene where he kind of harasses the kid um, with the uh, yeah. the raptor claw, right? You know? Yeah. There's this sort of weird <laughs> ambiguity of his relationship with, um, with, with Laura Dern, where you're like, mm-hmm. are these two uh, together? Like, it, what's the it's vibe? It's a here?
0: very unconventional leading man for a movie like that, where you're like, mm-hmm. essentially, he is the one with the emotional arc. The emotional arc is he hates kids. And yeah. he learns to tolerate them. He's, <laughs> right. he's not married, right?
4: Mm-hmm. He no.
0: he does not really have a romantic interest. It's not like he has to learn how to be a better father or Thank learn God. to settle down and be a man. Right. It's just like I kids fucking bug me. I'm terrorizing a kid at a dig site at the beginning. And by the end, I've gotten a little bit protective of these two kids who I decided to not let die.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get it fuck them kids
0: okay you've you've got the the michael jordan meme take on kids (laughs) fuck them Um, there was a quote i had my mind's eye that i couldn't find now i'm wondering if i combine things from just i've been reading sam neill stuff for the last couple weeks but that his thing of just like look obviously i did jurassic park and i was in the mix for bond but that's not really what i'm interested in and like as you said he's like i i tend to prefer to play villains because they're more interestingly written than having to be the bland leading man. And it is interesting that the couple of times in larger, this is small budget, but let's say studio films, that he played leading man in The Wake of Jurassic Park. It was like this, and Event Horizon, and other movies where the whole premise is ostensibly normal guy starts losing his grip on sanity. You know? Right. And b- he's using wild. His yeah.
1: handsomeness to uh, his advantage, you know, to portray the freakiness of a seemingly sort of regular right. dude. Right, that he, he, that yeah, he
0: yeah, wants to I break like. that facade down as quickly as possible. He is also very handsome. I agree, he, he belongs on he. the time travel fuck list. But mm. I keep on going back to like, it makes so much sense to cast him as adult Damien. There is something just a little right. menacing. Mm, right. totally. even, it Just even in neutral state.
1: I've never seen that movie I don't think it's like very well regarded or anything but yes like on paper he is he is wise casting for someone who is both possibly going to be president and like is the the devil. Mm-hmm. Right? He's the devil, right? Son of the devil, whatever he is.
0: Yeah, right. At that point he's like I mean what it's uh, my brilliant career, right? Mm-hmm. That that appears to be the movie that James Mason liked him in. That okay. seems to be from my googling. What James Mason took an interest in, uh, the Gillian Armstrong movie, Sleeping Dogs is like his his first leading man movie, and then Brilliant Career, I guess, is the one that crosses over a little more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, I mean, right? You have the Possession Omen three in the same year, and then I think uh, uh, Crying the Dark is big for him. Uh, Even though the uh, Meryl Dingo Ate My Baby movie, right? Just because it's like. Well, that's, it's a legitimate Merrill movie and he held his own against her. Like, it feels like from that moment on, that's when there's a shift of Hollywood taking him seriously. And then it's like right, he's a, Dead, he's calm, a dead calm, calm and Hunt for Red October. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Even right, still, right. it is surprising that he gets picked for Jurassic Park. Like he's not a guy who it feels like certainly if you think about today when there's like the pipeline of like Ugh. you're – yeah, you know, the the leading man and it's like here's Jai Courtney. We've decided Jai Co- Courtney is going to be a movie star. He's going to screen test for 15 things and he'll get three of them and the public doesn't really know what to do with him. You know, that that he was like – the story is famously that, that uh, Spielberg I think originally wanted it to be Harrison Ford and Sean Connery as – Alan Grant and um, why am I forgetting the character's name? Oh, Uh, uh, Attenborough. Hammond. Hammond. Yes. Hammond. Right. Right. But there was the idea of like, here's this huge book, here's Spielberg, this massive bidding war, get the two biggest movie stars to play the parts. Mm -hmm. And then he had that realization of like, the star of this is going to be the dinosaurs, and we're going to spend so much money on the effects, just get good actors. Yeah. Right. But he is an odd choice. No, I
2: mean, but
1: what you're saying, Griff, and like Angelica's uh, sigh, I'm, you know, like think about how the latest Jurassic Park had Chris Pratt in it. And like, I don't know how Angelica feels.
2: Gross. how I, I Uh. Uh-uh. Look, don't even get me started on these motherfuckers who are quote-unquote leading men today. The I was
0: kind of co- trying to get you started. We're on trying to get, you started. We're, we're to get, get you started. we're attempting to get you started, Angela. Okay,
2: can I just say something <laughs> that is yes. on my spirit?
0: As many things.
2: John David Washington is like the best example of this terrible state we're in for leading men mm. where it's like he's so fucking boring on screen i'm like how is your father denzel washington like you don't where's the charisma baby where where's the you know the raw sort of intimacy that you can have with a leading man we don't really get that these days there's not really many of the younger crop of actors i'm at all interested in at least the ones who are actually getting roles are like boring as shit and it sort, they feel neutered sexually, too. Like, I can imagine Sam Neill fucking a bitch. Absolutely. I can't imagine half of these motherfuckers out here have any sort of good stroke game. They don't. I have a better stroke <laughs> I, game than these motherfuckers.
1: I, I would say this is the problem, and it may not even be the actors. It's the material is often, Ugh, like, yeah. like, you know... Right. Is often kind of sexless. I mean, right? There was that
0: that piece about like what was the title? But I I I forget who wrote it. But the like everyone is beautiful, no one has sex. About how Mm -hmm. sexless our blockbusters are these days.
2: Yeah, they are sexless. I mean, American cinema as a whole is not great. Like, has Chris Pratt has he ever had sex? I'm literally Uh, thinking uh, now.
0: Passengers.
2: Right. Oh my god, that movie. (laughs) <laughs> what the fuck was that movie, y'all? That was a mo- that was something, and that was like Jennifer Lawrence's first sex
0: scene too. I remember her yep. like talking about it. Yeah,
1: yeah. Anyway, uh,
0: yeah. you know, and like Guardians of the Galaxy, he has like no,
1: he doesn't though. Right, exactly. He's one night that like yeah. yeah, but you never,
0: you never really know about it. It's just no, sort of like this no. guy's his, a
1: playboy, and you're like, I guess you're telling me that he's a his playboy his relationship yeah.
0: like, with Gamora is very chaste, and there's the thing right. at the beginning of the first movie where he's like driving the ship, he's and then got the a lady comes out in from, the ship, right. but like, yeah, right. yeah, yeah that's it's, right. It's,
1: it's very uh, whatever. They they they're just trying not to. Piss anyone off? I guess I don't know. I, I don't prefer know. Sam Neill's wild horn dog energy that we are now kind of projecting on him a little bit, but he is really cute. Yeah, so now, now we're
2: like, oh yeah, he's like, fucking like, all these broads. Yeah, no, this it's, guy it's, is
1: down for anything. <laughs> it's like Sam Neill seems like a nice guy with his vineyard, <laughs> but this is a freaky movie. It's mm-hmm. not like th- this one is. It's it's less uh, sex focused or whatever. But like you know, I just. I just generally like see him as someone who's happy to roll up his sleeves with yes. strange, interesting material. And I, I totally. appreciate that about him.
0: Yeah, there's yes. also this thing. Have you ever seen uh, memoirs of the Invisible Man, Angelica?
2: No, I have not.
0: So it's very bizarre and not a yeah. successful uh um. movie. Um, but it's like, there's four years between They Live and That. That's his sort of big return. That's his biggest budget movie ever, working with an established A-list star. Mm -hmm. And it sucks. And it kills that A-list star's career. And it, like, sets him back. But Sam Neill's really good in this supporting role. As sort of just the kind of, uh... I don't know, the CIA agent chasing him, right? It's not Mm -hmm. a very nuanced part, but he does it well. And there's this moment in the film that I spotlighted when we did that episode where the the idea is that the invisible man is holding a gun to his head, that he's being held at gunpoint. And the way the gag is achieved is very clearly that they have just glued a gun to the side of Sam Neill's head. And so he has to do the whole (laughs) thing himself. And there's this scene where, like, in a wide shot, He runs out of his office and down like the hallway of the offices and he's playing like the invisible man has like, you know, him in a chokehold with the gun against him. And he it's it's like he's levitating, like he somehow walks as if someone is carrying him. And it's Mm -hmm. clearly just him. It's not wire work. It's just a very physically physically committed thing of like. That's a guy who's just here and is ready to get you the best results and has no protectiveness over his star image, is ready to, like, do the fucking work. And similarly, yeah. this movie opens with him going so fucking hog wild with these mm-hmm. guards, right?
2: Oh, yeah. I, I love that. I think it's actually his first line is, I'm sorry about the balls. It was a lucky shot. That's all. <laughs> like, after... Nope.
0: The you first know. time you see his face after <laughs> yep. 5 minutes. Like he spends the first 5 minutes of the movie just kicking and screaming and flailing with his
2: head down. Yeah, been there. Been there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh and he's drawn all over himself. He's uh crosses, he, yeah.
1: He's got crosses and so on all right. over himself. Drawn
0: over his room, over his skin, over his his uh gown. Yeah. It's got it's it's the classic
1: lovecraft setup you are introduced to an insane person and they're like so what happened to you and he's like well let me start at the beginning you know and like <laughs> i used to be a regular guy insurance adjuster you know and that's and then we're off Bring, should i get a little into the context of this movie griff michael deluca can we I talk Mike so.
0: deluca the Deluca thing is fascinating because we're coming off a couple uh, Carpenter movies. I mean, not uh, Invisible Man, obviously, but like a couple movies in a row where he um, wrote it under a pseudonym. And right, they like, live. He 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 wrote
1: himself Prince of Darkness. Right, he's credited as uh, Quatermass. Right,
0: I guess those are the two. Right, and there were a couple mm-hmm. movies in between there where he was. Heavily involved in the script, but he, uh, you know, didn't technically write it. But he does write. Yeah. Martin Quartermass and Frank Armitage are his two. And it's like both a case of him saying, like, I, well, those two movies have so many influences that it felt weird putting my own name on it. So I create a fake name that's an homage to some of my influences. But he also sort of said, like, I was just fucking tired of seeing my name so many times on every movie. <laughs> like I felt Gun- like an ego maniac. Right, right. Right. Written, right. directed, edited, scored by, catering by. Right.
1: What you're saying, Griff, this is different. This is just him picking up a script and being Correct. like, I like this script. You know? Right. I'm sure he he said like I made it my own. Like I'm sure he wrote, but like this is Mike DeLuca mm-hmm. wrote this script when he was like twenty-two years old. Yeah. And was basically just like, What if I made like a modern love crafty kind of tale about you know, creepy beatings from another dimension
0: trying to take over, but it's, like, set in the present.
2: 22? Wait. He's 22 years old. Are you serious?
0: He gets hired on to New Line in development when he's 19. He writes the 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 script when he's 22. He had already, at that time, like, he wrote some episodes of the Freddy Krueger TV show, Freddy's Nightmares, Mm. and then he ended up writing a couple other horror films. He wrote Freddy 5? he six? wrote Freddy 6 Freddie's uh-huh. uh, Freddy's Dead, yeah uh, which is oh,
1: okay. pro- probably the worst Freddy movie I think so. if you're excluding yeah. the remake um Ooh. it's uh and he wrote um i believe he may have worked on he didn't he doesn't have a writing credit on oh no he produced right he produced uh Texas Chainsaw 3 right right so he's so, he's been he's,
0: working in the world yeah. you know, world of low budget you know he's, uh, he's a new line horror yeah. development guy at new line who's also creatively interested in horror and mm-hmm. is writing and producing some of this stuff himself more hands-on he writes Mouth of Madness he wants Carpenter to see it first that's his top choice Carpenter's like this is interesting I don't know uh it's uh, it, their ideas here I wouldn't know how to do the work i have some other things i'm i have boiling right now maybe i'll come back to this later then they go to um what's her name who directed uh, pet cemetery they go to mary lambert who yeah. made pet cemetery they also offered it to tony randall
1: who made hellraiser 2 speaking right. of hellraiser um they, that doesn't happen and then after memoirs and body bags carpenter is like all right I'm, I'm i'm around right i want to like, work on that script
0: the five yeah. years between when he first reads the script and when he agrees to do it essentially he has a big flop the other things he tried to do don't come to fruition they've developed two versions of this movie with different directors that don't go but also in those five years deluca yep. goes from being like a development executive to the head of new line so right. he's like you want to do my script He's 27 yep. years old and now he can make it a top priority. The script I wrote when I was 22, I really want to see this get made. I, I will green light my own script, essentially.
2: I am still stuck on the 22 year old
1: thing. It's bizarre. I mean, like, I, what? The impression I get is that <laughs> it's new line in the 80s and similar with um, Paramount. Uh, right with Friday the Thirteenth, like those little horror movies, like no one was minding the store. It was truly kind of like old fashioned thirties Hollywood, where it was like, "Hey, I know this um, kid who likes horror flicks. Right. Let's get him in." Right? let like, an intern write no it. No one's checking yeah. on anyone. Right,
2: that sounds fun.
1: Yeah, it was probably fun. And there was probably some bad behavior. Yeah, And oh, early totally. model. Well,
0: notorious <laughs> bad behavior with DeLuca, but he's well, like, we'll get to that. Right, he's sort of infamous as sort of I, 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 I feel like the prototype for this thing that has now flooded Hollywood, which is, like, movie dork who comes in full of, like, piss and vinegar as a teenager. And it's like, I I know how to do this stuff. And it's like... I watch movies. It's someone who, like, genuinely loves genre shit. Mm. And then at some point has figured out how to, like, create the veneer of, like, a big swinging dick Hollywood asshole, Mm. despite being very young, so that the other big swinging dick Hollywood assholes hire them because they're like, well, you're not a dork. You seem to be, like, a wheeler dealer player, but you say you like this stuff and you know it. So then they just go like, I don't know, make your fucking horror shit. And then DeLuca becomes this notorious, like, he wears leather and he's uh, fucking, like, quote-unquote bad boy and he's sort of like acting out all the fantasies of who he wished he thought he'd been in high school and then his his new line tenure essentially ends because he gets a blowjob in public at an oscar party in the late 90s he sure did at arnold rifkin's house in 1998 uh he got
1: his dick sucked while quote several guests looked on end quote
0: that's from The uh, Hollywood Reporter. The, the story called. <laughs> uh, they're, they're in like yep. a general room of a mansion and he just takes his pants off and that starts happening and everyone slowly moves away. And then Arnold Rifkin has this amazing quote where he was like, yeah, I mean, I had to take that chair out back and burn it. I'm not going <laughs> to invite someone over to my house and tell them to sit in that fucking chair. And the wildest thing, or maybe it's not wild given the Hollywood, is like he just sort of
1: successfully, he like leaves New Line and reinvents himself as like, kind of a, you know... Prestige. prestige producer. Like, he's the guy who
0: did freaking Social Network and mm. uh, what's it called? Moneyball, right? He, yeah, he well. has three Best Picture nominations in a row. He goes over to DreamWorks for four years, kind of belly right. flops there, and then goes over to Sony. Amy Pascal takes him in and fucking hits it out of the park at Sony and does Social Network, Moneyball, and Captain Phillips three years in a row. He has, mm. like, ten years at Sony, and then he leaves Sony to independently produce uh, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. He, like, Mm. buys the Fifty Shades of Grey rights himself a little bit ahead of the curve and made a fucking killing on that, too. Now he's in charge of MGM. Now
1: he's in charge of MGM. That's right. Yeah.
2: yeah. I'm sorry, but, you know, these Hollywood motherfuckers, especially these men, be wild. You're literally getting your dick sucked at a party? That is like a That is rude. And it was not a blowjob (laughs) party. It was, no, not, it was not. It was. It, it was,
1: was an Oscar party. It was not. <laughs> it was not a party where it was like, please yeah, come, bring your penis. Like we will be getting them sucked later. No, this was just <laughs> we're gonna watch the Oscars. It was, we're gonna have some canapes. It was not know? a BYOP party. To clarify, <laughs> right. um, and, but like it's it's it is funny, Griff. Or it is you know like New Line in the '90s is this kind of. I don't... It's not quite as disruptive as, like, some... But, like, he greenlit Seven and Boogie Nights yes. and, like, uh, The Wedding Singer, Dumb and Dumber. Or like, you know, he was
0: Austin Powers. Clearly,
1: Austin Powers. Like, wow. He was yeah. clearly, like, fairly good at picking projects. Yeah. Or in the case of, like, a Boogie Nights or a Seven being like, look... Do whatever it is you want to do, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I, you know, like, here's a fair amount of money. Like, I
0: I imagine it'll work out. No, and like Boogie Nights, he gets a lot of credit for. I mean, it's why Mm -hmm. the Licorice Pizza is at MGM now, because it's like he has this relationship where he kind of made PTA. Yeah, no, I mean, his run at New Line pretty much ends right before lord of the rings which is obviously this like huge transitional moment for them Mm. but also a thing they cannot sustain and within like 10 years of lord of the rings coming out new line no longer exists really other than as a label it's like bizarre history but he's jumping in there at a time where it's like the freddy movies have been huge and the first ninja turtles have been huge and they've kind of gotten minted as like oh you're not you're not in the film ghetto anymore. You don't have any prestige, but you've had crossover success. And he simultaneously like continues to make money doing the things that they did before, but also adds like five new sort of tentacles for them. And they're like getting Oscar nominations. They're having hit comedies, horror movies, action movies, rush hour, like just uh, uh, he, he just he fucking had a lot of success. It is bizarre that he also wrote this movie.
2: Yeah, I am I I'm having some sort of dissonance with all <laughs> I know about him and then this movie. Yeah, it's hard
1: to reconcile. I think Tark Carpenter, you know, took his pass at it or whatever. Yes. Oh but yeah, yes. totally. Um, You know, Carpenter in 93 basically was like, I like that it's a Lovecraft thing. There's never been like a good Lovecraft movie. I like that it's got kind of old sci-fi. I like that it's got like a Stephen King vibe. I thought it would be fun. Like, he's mm-hmm. good at... He's Griff, he's so good at picking stuff off the pile that I feel like I know. people would probably dismiss as trash, right? Like, I just feel like so yes. many of his projects are the kinds of things that, in the hands of a lesser director, people are like, yeah, this is like a 6 out of 10 genre well, movie. And even know. if
0: Carpenter refined this script greatly, and it, you know, he makes it sound like the reason he passed on it the first time earlier in the 90s is because he felt like the ideas weren't perfectly executed. By all accounts, all of the ideas were there from DeLuca. Like It, it is still wild that he, at such a young age, came up with this concept and all the facets of it even if carpenter sort of polished it you know
2: yeah totally it's
0: it's not like carpenter takes credit for like well that wasn't in the script and i added that whole thing that wasn't a theme
1: no no, it's it's right it's it's in there you're right you're right
2: i want to say a brief aside though about the age thing please um i think it's very easy to get caught up in seeing like very young people do like cool shit and whatever and obviously he continued to do other cool shit by everything he was producing.
0: And some uncool shit at Oscar And parties. some
2: really uncool shit. And I mean, if we heard this, imagine the stuff we haven't heard in my mind. You know Absolutely. what I
0: mean? Absolutely. 100%. That's, That's exactly what he did right. Yeah, in like a- public. <laughs> yeah, happened. but right. it's
2: like yeah. easy to kind of... Um, as I get older, I, I've just become more aware. And I think for women, you know, you hit your 30s and it's a whole different ball game. But it's very easy to fetishize youth in a way. And I don't want to do that. So I just am saying this to the audience. Don't fetishize youth. Life is bold and beautiful. It's
1: something Hollywood loves to do.
0: I I Mm -hmm. focus on it less as like uh, an accomplishment. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm talking this specific case, but also in general. And more just it it is bizarre that someone of that age could have this sort of presence of mind to conceive of this film.
2: Yeah, I I agree. Because the ideas are really strong and they had to have been there to at least... Caught Carpenter's eye uh, and led him to direct and...
0: and and they're they're fairly profound ideas and it's an interesting mixture of ideas. I mean, he's pulling together a couple disparate things in a very interesting way.
2: Mm-hmm. I agree, and I, I'm really curious to hear from you guys your relationship to Lovecraft because I have. Some spicy things to say about Lovecraft. But probably not surprising because I'm black as hell. Uh And that motherfucker was racist. He was very racist. racist. One of the worst. Racist.
1: I've never really read any Lovecraft. Perhaps that is embarrassing to admit or something. But I, I think partly because you know, he's someone where people are like, I will read the stories. I don't know. Like for some reason, I basically only read like a couple short stories. I've never mm. delved into him. And yeah, he has this reputation obviously where it's like enormously influential you know, basically, sort of a subgenre onto himself, but yeah, also a huge racist that I have never
0: wanted to delve deeper. I guess maybe I don't know. That, that's my exact same thing. Of, like I, I greatly enjoy Lovecraftian things, and I, sure, I, 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 I largely I, I love stayed
1: big beasts. Right, go people going crazy. You know, I, I like all you know a thing
0: you see and you cannot comprehend. Like I love right. that idea. Right. I think I've just largely stayed away because it's like, well, other people do Lovecraft stuff or they adapt it or they sort of are inspired by it and I can watch that stuff which isn't as tinged by his fucking horrible thoughts because it's not just like oh he was a bad person who wrote good things the, his his fucking worldviews are inextricably tied to his work and exactly. when other people adapt it or homage it they can sometimes separate those things a little more successfully uh, Have you read much yourself Angelica? Or?
2: Yeah I've read a little bit of Lovecraft as a teenager just because I read a lot of Horror, horror and sci-fi sorry. and fantasy and i still do um and yeah you can clock that this motherfucker is racist and it's like i get really annoyed when people are like but i mean look at the time he lived in and i'm like no he was even really racist for his t- i mean also who gives a shit i'm sorry white people are still racist that doesn't mean a damn thing to me you know what i mean no,
1: but he right you know but he <laughs> what? right it's not one of those things where you're like well you know there were was- you know, he was, that's how people thought at the time. It's like, no, 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 no. He wrote shit down. Like he was yeah. really,
2: he know, was like, this is a good idea that I want to be remembered with. Like, let me put this in my work.
1: Not to be dismissive, because I do know people like Lovecraft, and I'm sure there's lots, but he's also always felt to me like someone where it's like, have you read like a couple Lovecraft stories? You kind of got the picture with him. Like, he would kind of go to the same well over and over. Right, yeah.
2: Yeah, I did a jerk-off motion. This is obviously not video. This is a (laughs) podcast, but I want everybody to know I did a jerk-off motion. It's one of my favorite things to do. But yeah, like with Lovecraft... I yeah I'm definitely with you Griffin like there's a lot of Lovecraft shit like Lovecraftian shit shit that like took some of his ideas and then kind of go in a different direction with it that I really did because I like that whole yeah. old ones dark shit yawning abysses oh existential crisis as a human being looking at something beyond our understand I love all that shit I don't love like, something like Lovecraft Country, I think that's something that... God, I hated that show. Can I just say that? What? Yeah, hated you hated that can. show. You can.
1: I didn't watch Lovecraft Country. Me neither. Um, partly because the buzz on it kind of curdled so fast. You're fine. Yes, I think I'm fine. What the fuck was Lovecraft Country about? I, I, the, my other reason I didn't watch is like, no one could succinctly define for me, like, what the premise of that show was.
2: Because it's kind of a mess. I mean, it's... Mm. Like, the through line is, uh, what is Jonathan Major's character, Tick, kind of has some strange inheritance, and, like, there's so many different storylines. So, like, Journey Smollett has everything with her sister. Her sister gets in with the main villain who can take other forms. Like, there's some magic they do. And you get to see the sister, one of the... Weirdest storylines is a sister becoming a white woman and like this reckoning all with that occasionally. <laughs> yeah. so, it's so, but it's, but the thing is, it's like stupid. Also, a lot of, you know, colorism issues in the show where it's like Journey Smollett's light skinned self is kind of exalted in a way while her sister, who's a, or half sister in the show, is a darker skinned, bigger woman and. The things they do with that character, I was like, like, do y'all not see how you're replicating the same problems that we critique white directors for? No one. Just me. It, I mean, oh, okay,
1: I'll that look. show kind of got, you know, people, I don't know. It seems like people turned on that show because it, it kind of got yeah, buried. As right. they
2: should. But I, I, I don't even understand why they liked it at first. I remember watching the, you know, like a screener early on and I was like, I see what this is doing with the Lovecraft shit. But it doesn't have a strong enough perspective on it, and it's so slapdash, taking so many influences from elsewhere that it doesn't really feel like its own thing. Uh, fuck that show, <laughs> sincerely. Anybody who thinks it deserved a second season needs Jesus and needs to watch better things, in but my even opinion. That like, I
0: look. I did not watch it. I have no. I have no creative opinion on it. Uh, I I did not watch it mostly because the vibes I got from it were Weird what vibes. you were saying. In addition to just sort of like. Uh, uh, peak prestige TV messiness of just like there's way too much fucking going on here uh, and they don't know what they're actually trying to do but it is bizarre the arc of that show of just like all this buzz it comes out it's very divisive it seems to do pretty well a year later it gets a ton of Emmy nominations is cancelled two days later and then loses every Emmy it's like a very That's weird
2: true. yep yeah yep. very weird uh, very
0: weird um, but
1: it, that's why I feel like the approach here is better. The sort of like mm-hmm. let's do a Lovecrafty thing, yes. Like let's let's get the vibes, but we can make it contemporary. We can kind of do whatever we want with it, and like we do not have to be indebted to his particular type of storytelling. Well, what's so like wild the too
0: is that this movie is essentially combining like Lovecraft, Stephen King, and Elron uh, uh, Hubbard. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like Lovecraft is the thing that influences it most in terms of the vibe and the look and the mythology and all that sort of stuff. But you're saying, like, what if there was a present day author who had the 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 uh, the excuse me, the Lovecraft sensibility with the success and public visibility of Stephen King, but the effect on its readers was that of L. Ron Hubbard. And also who do you obviously cast to play the composite of those three people? Jürgen <laughs> Prochow. <laughs> Love that He's guy.
2: He's good. He's good. He's good. He's got
1: fucking gravitas out. He
0: the does.
2: Ass. Intense oh casting choice. Intense.
3: Wait, is that his real hair? I believe so.
1: I don't I
2: know. Hope if so, real that would be cool. If it he was. looks great.
1: He
3: yeah, looks he great. L-
2: he looks great. When like, uh, the doors of that black demonic church open, and he's just like, hey, bitches, that's right. I got your kids. I got your. T- I got you. And I'm like, yeah, you do, Sutter Kane. <laughs> you do.
0: Did you? I mean, he. you look at his Wikipedia picture, which is from two years ago. He's still got quite a mane on him. Nice head of hair. Yeah. Oh, good
1: Nice head him. of hair. I, I
0: think good that's nice. Nice no, head sincerity. of gray hair.
1: I mean, I associate him with... Dust Boot, obviously, um, right, right, uh, and uh, Dune, which mm-hmm. he's it's Beverly Hills Cup too. Uh, Be- you know, like a guy who stoic, kind of, sure. like I said, a lot of gravitas, right? Like, sort of, you know, tough German guy. Um, I like how wild and funny he is in this, and like, kind of weird and playful.
2: He's he's yeah. doing
0: a, he's going a little Klaus Kinski with it. Yeah,
2: a yeah. little bit, and I like it. Yeah. Yeah I think everybody's really bringing it like even small bit players like in this movie it just seems like I don't know everyone got on the right wavelength with what this movie needed from them in terms of performance and it like really works for me how they all play off each other and just the energy.
1: I love Julie Carmen, who is not she's really an actress good. I know well. I, what do I know her? She's in like one other thing, I think. That she's I've the seen. mother
2: in
0: Gloria. I mean, that's the thing that I know. That's her what from. it is. Right. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. Which is So a, she's got she's actually, the big yeah. scene at the beginning of the movie. But at the yeah. beginning. Right. Right. Uh, and she,
1: yeah, I mean, she's just like, she's kind of, she's super hot. She's kind of different. Like, you know, like a, for a Hollywood leading lady, right? She's got this sort of like, you know, uh, Spanish, Cuban—the you know, dark hair and like she's styled really well, and she's just she's just cool in this movie. Like she, she she's is not cool. trying hard in you know, or she doesn't seem like she's trying hard at all, right? Like she just sort of seems very very chill opposite all the all the sort of like intensity. I don't know, I don't know how to lay, lay my finger on this. Do
0: you know about her whole career in therapy? Therapy? No, I don't know about her Mm-mm. career in therapy. What's her career in therapy? Uh, so she's a master's degree in clinical psychology. Then she became a licensed okay. marriage family therapist. Oh, then she became cool. a licensed yoga therapist. Mm. Cool. Uh, she works as a drama therapist now in prisons. Wow.
2: That's uh, really fascinating. Does drama
0: therapy and yoga therapy at, like, uh, uh, rehab centers. Wow.
2: Okay.
0: Uh, yoga right. therapy at eating disorder centers, uh, school district programs. I mean, she's she's, like... I think she was doing it simultaneous, but has shifted to doing it more. I mean, she still acts, uh, but I, like, I... Yeah, but less less so to these days. I, but right. I think that speaks yeah. a little bit to her interesting energy.
2: Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, what I love about her performance is its physicality. Like, you know, when you're introduced to her, you know, as Sutter Kane's editor she has a very precise, professional woman physicality. Like, this is a woman who's had to, like, you can immediately tell, this is a woman who's had to move through predominantly male spaces, and she knows how to hold her own. Mm -hmm. So when you see, like, later in the film, as things go left, there's a sort of, like, looseness to her physicality, I noticed. And, like, she just kind of, like... Like, she could just fall apart at any moment that I thought was really fascinating.
0: It it makes sense that she has spent this much time, like, on on yoga and dance and physical totally. theater and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. And then you got Charlton Heston swinging in for, for five <laughs> scenes. He's can we, can we good. About, Charlton Heston's 90s are so weird. This is right around Wayne's World 2, right, Griff? Right. And <laughs> you have, like, like True Lies... You know, you, you kind of end the decade with him narrating Armageddon. Like, it, it is oh, yeah. bizarre for how kind of, like, iconic and legendary he was and the 90s are when he starts becoming mostly thought of as a gun nut, right? Like, this transition is happening. He did a lot of you-can-hire-me-to-give-you-weight and gravitas shit. Yeah. We're right. Wayne's World 2, Tombstone, True Lies— all of these are either like small supporting parts or like uncredited cameos. Mouth of Madness, Hamlet, he's the narrator of Hercules and then the narrator of Armageddon and then the commissioner in Any Given Sunday. Right. Yeah. Instant Gravitas,
1: that's his thing. He's like I'll come in. Yeah. I'll give you I'll give you some gravitas
0: and then he's like done cuz he right? He has Alzheimer's like it's yeah, it's over. Right. Then his 2000s are Town and Country the main dog, uh, like the boss dog, in cats and dogs, like the commissioner of dogs. <laughs> oh, he's God. the voice of that. He has his his one scene in Play of the Apes* that I contend is great. Is I think we all agreed was the best part of that movie. Maybe It's kind of the best part of the yeah.
1: movie, yes. Right. But yeah, uh, he's I I kind of he's a, he's a surprise, but I enjoyed him. I just think this movie's kind of loaded with those guys. Like you're going to pronounce one, but like David Warner, John, Bernie Glover. Casey.
3: Mm. burning
0: cake you know these guys are just going to give you a couple you know fun wild scenes you also have uh what's his name um uh wilhelm vine von let me get his name right here but uh, who, wilhelm von holmberg right who is vigo the carpathian and ghostbusters mm-hmm. 2 right 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 and is one uh, of the the henchmen in uh, Die diehard was a former boxer and is another guy who just like is so unbelievably intense on screen at any given moment uh, He's the guy who, who shoots guy himself who shoots in the bar. Yeah. Right, right,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. right. Yeah, and he was dropping knowledge on our poor John Trent character, played by Sam Neill. And yet. He- this
1: is just. It's an arc that I love so much. <laughs> the guy who's all swagger, who knows mm-hmm. what he's doing, is unflappable. Someone tries to murder him with an axe 20 minutes into this movie, and he's like a little miffed. But he, you know, dusts himself off and gets back to his day. But also, his setup and
0: is he, like, busts bullshit for a living, and he's mm-hmm. the best at it. This guy fucking sees through everything. Absolutely. Yeah. He knows if you're cheating on your wife. He know, You
1: know, like, he he thinks everyone is full of shit. Uh, he's obviously, the whole the plot is that he's investigating this author of, Jesus, mm. what's the author's name? Uh, Sutter, Sutter Kane. King uh, Sutter, Sutter king Kane, Kane, baby. Read his work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Who is supposed his work is supposedly drive pe- driving people mad, and he assumes that this is a ploy by the publishers to just gin up some publicity, but he's gonna look into it. But I just love the sort of like, you know, big dick guy mm-hmm. gets thrown into a world like of like a nightmare world beyond his like, you know, his greatest fears. Like the whole journey into the unknown thing in this movie is so well represented. Like the, the creepiness of their drive up. And the weird shit that they see, and the way it like goes from day to night, and all—I love that all so
0: much. I I dramatically love movies about uh, people having their perception of the world destroyed. Right? Mm -hmm. Like in any like comedically, in action movies, in horror movies, or anything where you have this sort of like super high functioning, unflappable character played by some degree of movie star who slowly realize that they have no idea what the fuck is going on and they have no control over their universe. I also, there is nothing I find more effective in horror than the am I losing my mind or am I the only sane person mm. uh, uh, trope? It's it, Because it is it is the thing that scares me the most, personally, with my tenuous grasp on my own mental health at all times. Anything that's playing with that juice of uh, am am I the only person who knows what's actually going on anymore, or am I slowly breaking down?
2: Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because that was something that was really on my mind watching it uh, today. Mm-hmm. I watched it earlier in the morning, um, which is a funny thing to like get up before dawn and watch in the mouth of madness. But you know what? <laughs> That's a great start to yeah. your day because you, you're starting you did it with- for us,
0: and I appreciate that. We did a yeah. cup of coffee in Mouth of Madness.
2: Yeah, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. let me get my tea and watch Sam Neill lose his mind and think about my <laughs> own uh, not strong grip on my own sanity. Same.
3: Uh, throughout this mini series, I've been watching Carpenter really early in the morning, almost consistently. I love it. And it's been kind of a it's a, it's an interesting way to start your day, for sure. Rise and carp. Yeah, rice and <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, my whole thing is as someone who is bipolar and has anxiety and has been in a few mental hospitals, I'm like usually hypersensitive to depictions of madness, especially in Same. horror. Yeah, And not because I need it to necessarily look like reality. I'm not interested in that sort of realism necessarily, but I want it to be able to at least get across that feeling of, you know, psychosis. Like I've been in moments where I really thought I was losing my mind and I feel this film gets it.
0: I, 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 agree. I think, I mean, I think probably historically the movies I have hated the most on this show or had the strongest adverse reactions to are ones where I get really upset over depictions of, uh, uh mental stuff. And Mm. I I agree with you that it's it's more about I want there to be some sort of aesthetic truth. Yes,
2: aesthetic and emotional truth.
0: Right, and aesthetic truth, yeah. Which I think this movie gets very well, yeah.
2: Yeah. Because, like,
1: the depiction of the... The asylum in this movie is obviously sort of like hilariously
0: stereotypical, right? He's like thrown in a padded cell. It's all very John Glover is giving a performance that is more over the top than his performance in (laughs) Batman and Robin. Exactly. His
1: hair's sticking up and he's like, another one, you know, like, and yet, like you say, right, there is sort of, I mean, Carpenter is a very empathetic filmmaker. He always has been. So like, that's why he's- uh, not, not that I don't mind trashy genre yeah. director, but, like, you know, that's why he's on another level. Like, that's
0: Like I mean, that's my other thing, too, obviously, is when it when it comes to depictions of mental illness of, like, easy demonization versus some mm-hmm. sense of empathy. And I think you can tell from the way this movie starts of just, like, here he is, his face is down, he's kicking and screaming, he's knocking a guy in the nuts, right? Like, he's playing stereotypical, especially sort of, like, Val Luton institutional horror movie, quote-unquote crazy person, Right. And then the second David Warner goes back to privately talk to him – now he lifts his head up. Now you're looking this guy in the eyes for the first time. He's a real person, right? He's not just a lunatic. Yeah. You're having to actually have a conversation with this guy and engage with him and question mm. whether you could so easily put him into that box. Mm. And very notably, once this conversation starts, he gets very quiet. He gets very focused, you know? yeah. Uh, you know, he is not behaving like a maniac. He's sort of, you know, there's there's a mild twitchiness to him. There is that manic energy. But he is really locking in with David warner and sort of knowing like i've been through this you're probably gonna think i'm crazy let me just tell you what i've gone through but that central balance of the thing of just like how people see you your awareness of how people see you are you doing this on purpose have you Mm -hmm. given up trying to maintain some sense of control of how you're perceived in society versus just like here's this guy he's fucking broken you know and he's like excited that someone excited but you know willing to open up to someone to see if he can break through to them. But there's also this guardedness of just like, it's probably done. I don't assume anyone's really going to buy what I have to say. Yeah, he's covered in plus signs. Like
3: <laughs>
0: He's very positive is what you're saying, Ben. He's, yeah, he's a positive in plus guy. signs All positive <laughs> energy. Uh, um, then you go to the story within the story. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: So you're introduced to Sam Neill. Obviously, we talked about that, his sort of big swinging energy and all that Um, but I the way I mean I know it's partly that the movie had a smaller budget and they had to deploy the sort of nightmarish imagery carefully and quickly and kind of subtly like you know they could not linger on it for too long it's 10 million
0: dollars memoirs was 40 his movies before that were all closer to 3 that run he had but But we're in the mid
1: 90s now it's changed not only have Mm. budgets changed
0: but standards have changed yeah um, but like I just like how he's
1: folding in the nightmarish stuff very sort of like obliquely and like not trying to explain anything at all. The yeah. guy's weird eyes, you know, the the cop that he has the vision of being like this monster and all that. Like no 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 effort to really explain beyond like I I just I like all of the early buildup in this movie. It keeps me so interested. Yeah. I appreciate that I guess the opening of the movie is so kind of you know, amped up that that's supposed to hook us. But, like, I just like that Carpenter always takes his time before mm-hmm. getting to the bananas stuff. Like, totally. Carpenter really is sort of like, the third act is where it's going to go bananas. Like, don't worry. Like, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you what you want later. Like, But like,
0: please stay with me while I get you involved. They said that was the main reason DeLuca was so fixated on getting him to direct this movie over five years, is that like, no one gets away with more through the power of suggestion than this guy. Mm-hmm. People in their minds, I always think that Carpenter shows a lot more than he does. And that he really saves the big visuals you know the sort of chaos for the third act but he's able to dole things out slowly and methodically enough that it does keep you hooked in uh and so once this little
1: group goes on a road trip i the road trip is sort of my favorite part of the movie is that griff is hayden christensen the boy on the bike at the end yeah at the end, okay, because yeah. like, because yeah. I love that boy on the bike in the middle with the who's like turns into a weird old man,
2: yeah. Oh my god, that is so scary to me for some reason. It's so wow. scary,
1: yeah, I, it I
0: really is. I think that's Kevin Zeigers, maybe. I think it might yeah. be. I know he's in it too. It's Kevin Zeigers, whatever Kevin Zeigers, whatever guy. his name is, yes. But Hayden's definitely the one at the end,
3: real quick though. We skipped over there's that brief moment before they go on the road trip where they're in the elevator bank. And he's hitting mm-hmm. on her really yeah. hard. That is so creepy. He is so <laughs> horny and creepy in that scene. I
0: mean, he's a dick ass free. Yeah, they keep on coming back to the central point here. Yeah, if and he's, he's ever s- on a space station. Be careful.
2: <laughs> yeah, and he's obviously like he's not just hitting on her. He's also trying to get information from her. So it's like it's kind of a weird mix of impulses on his part. I thought it was kind of hot though. Yeah. It's,
0: yeah. I mean, he is pretty <laughs> obsessed with power and control, right? I mean, he's a guy who is sort of uh, uh, methodically fixated on making sure that no one has the better of him mm-hmm. and, you know, wants to have that upper hand on everyone around him, but also wants to control how people feel about him and can manipulate his own charisma to get what he wants out of other people. It's oh, just, totally. the same. Talking about this is like a fucking trope, but like the, uh, uh whatchamacallit, uh uh Edge of Tomorrow is like another movie that does the same thing where it's like here's a guy mm. who's so good at fucking talking and lying to people mm. and being able to like get in a boardroom and and spin things however he wants and then he's just thrown to a universe where he does not understand anything anymore and is completely falling apart at the lack of power he wields.
2: Yeah and this film really consider is broadly also about control because isn't that sanity in a way the idea that you think you're control you have some control over how you view reality and you're Mm -hmm. in touch with whatever you know quote-unquote reality is and And i think
0: beyond that how other people see you it's both exactly my understanding of reality and my understanding of how i'm perceived
2: exactly which is just super fascinating kind of you know watching sam neill fall apart in the film because it Kind of leads to really interesting considerations about what is real. You know, how are we actually properly, probably improperly perceiving the world around us? What are we missing? What's behind the veil ideas? I just, ooh, it gets me hot. I love it.
0: Well, that scene where they go to the hotel and he's arguing with Styles about reality, because mm-hmm. she's calling out, like, look, this is the town. This is the town from the book. There's the church, all of this. And he does that thing where he knocks on the desk and goes, like, reality. This Mm -hmm. is reality. Hear this? With the irony being, he's knocking on a desk in a town for a book. Like, his argument is real things are tangible things that I can hit, that I can prove, that I can touch, that are tactile. But it's like – but you're saying this in a, a, a fantasy world right now. You are already trapped in the thing that isn't real. And your perception of this disc is more real than what you're saying to me is already totally out of whack. Mm. Like, would you, you know? Oh, sorry, sorry. Um, the
1: Sam Neil, like his performance, like just his whole, uh, entitled, you know, king of the universe vibe. That's what I love about like the pa- yeah. the uh, hubris of is where he's just like, no, I figured the puzzle out. It's not what you guys are trying to sell me on. It's just a weird old town, and I figure, you know, like I. As I always do, I'm gonna pierce, you know, the the lie here and emerge the number one smarty pants once again. Like there, there's so much to lie. It's kind of like, you know, when you're watching a bunch of camp counselors have sex, and you're like, Jason's gonna get these guys. You know, like that same hubris where the audience is kind of rooting for the villainy, like, but yeah. it just in this more elaborate, supernatural, metaphorical way. I love that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. it's great. This movie rules. And then everything goes insane. Everything goes completely wild.
3: Another thing that rules is the cutout stuff where they figure out it's New Hampshire.
1: I love that shit. You like the map?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I do too. It's like, look at this. It's really like solidifying. Oh, this is one smart bitch. Okay, this insurance investigator, he can figure shit the fuck out. And so you kind of go into this weird town and story With that in mind, like this is someone who thinks he can kind of perceive things that others don't and kind of look through the bullshit and put the puzzle pieces together. But what if the puzzle comes together and it's an image you can't even you know, comprehend a a, a pretty
0: ingenious storytelling decision in this movie is that he is asleep and styles is driving the car when they go through the tunnel and shit starts getting really fucking weird. So he doesn't see that nightmarish imagery. She enters the town and sees that sign already fairly broken so that when he's now seeing, Oh, that's weird. This town's supposed to not exist I talked to the old lady at the front desk of the hotel. She's never heard of Sutter Kane. He has no reason to question reality at this point. She's viewing it through the prism of weird shit has already happened. And he just immediately goes to, this is absolutely a promotional event. I mean, I just love that he's so confident that it's like, this is some weird fucking augmented reality like th- launch for the book that you fuckers are doing. These people are cosplaying. They're acting.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. And and he just hasn't seen the sort of terrors at the edges of reality yet.
2: Yeah. And even when he does start to see them, it takes a little bit. It, it has to heighten to a certain level for him to be like, okay, wait a minute. Like, the fuck is this? <laughs> Especially yeah. with the old lady. And like, you know, him coming downstairs and like looking at the, the painting has changed, which is so effectively creepy to me. Like, if I kept turning around and a painting was just changing and people were mutating in the painting, I would just be like, you know what, fuck it. This is the point where I I either try to get out of this town or I need to kill myself because this ain't going to work out for me. I don't want to look like some hideous creep.
1: And to me the right well you don't want to look like a idiot no one wants to look no like one a idiot no. like, but to me to I I love the I, that scene is not really in this movie but like you know I guess it sort of is but like if he gets in his car and tries to drive through the covered bridge again and just can't leave that yeah. is such a good ultimate nightmare to me
0: right where you're right. like nope the thing from you old. cross the barrier
1: and there's right. no way back right right yeah, yeah, if you yeah, try exactly, to walk yeah, the, back the old, through the right. cave
0: in old, you just get a headache and you wake up back on the beach again ooh um, what was the thing I was going to say? Uh, oh, another thing I think this movie does very smartly is the the case that he is telling Bernie Casey about at the beginning is like, you know, husband hires me to spy on wife, who he thinks is having an affair with him, and then I realize they're both running a con on me. So you know this guy is very dubious of the fact that I don't necessarily even trust who hires me to do this right they They could just as likely be in on it. They're not trying to get me to solve a problem for them. I, they might be looping me into their sham. Um So you know, he gets brought in with charlton heston and 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 with Styles and whatever. the whole time he's wary of like, this would be a pretty perfect way to promote the new book. That the guy goes missing, that there's some mystery around it. Right. I wake up. I'm now in a town that's named after the town from the book. Look, they've built the church. All of this. He's just like anything weird that starts happening. It is so easy for him in his arrogance to write it off as. Well, I don't know. This is what the fucking publishing companies well, do. Built a church, though. I, I mean, know.
2: That's, it's wild. For, it's, for
0: promotional purposes, I'm not
3: sure they would that's take why I'm it that saying far. It's,
0: it's his arrogance that he's willing right. to accept any of it is their shit. So if the painting changes, he's like, would be a perfect thing for a publishing house to do. Change the paintings.
2: Yeah, and he touched <laughs> the painting when he realized it had changed to kind of see if there was fresh paint. I'm like, right. dude, come on now. Like think about it also you know everything with the the old lady and like her poor poor husband shackled to her ankle oh. and then her like you don't obviously with all the monstrous things in the film you don't see them directly directly but you kind of see her in shadow and the tentacles tentacles really all that sort of shit
0: tentacles were roll
2: it's so effectively gross to me yeah. like I'm like yeah. what the fuck?
0: And all of it has the same kind of like sliminess as the the thing animatronics. He's totally. working with the same color palette as well, where everything's this odd sort of like bruised flesh. Um, It's very scary. It's very scary. But yeah, like in that in that scene where they're arguing about reality and he's knocking on the desk and and she admits to him like, OK, 20 percent of this was a scam. Right. That's my favorite part. That, that She's only. It's like, yeah, okay. You had
1: the basic idea right. Sure. Right. We were making up the whole crazy people thing right. a little
0: bit, you know, but the, I did not plan any of this. Like, what do you think I am? Like, right. We wanted him to disappear, but then we actually can't find him. The agent wasn't supposed to go crazy, you know, like all this shit. But, but even her admitting that, like, the last 80% of this has been really fucking real and is scaring me only like confirms his bias even more to be less trusting.
2: Yeah. And this is obviously a character so committed to their own view of the world and their centrality in the world that it's like, for me, if the, I mean, even the beginning, the agent and the weird eyes and the ax, like, come on, like that's already like, what the fuck? That motherfucker got shot. He's dead. That's not promotional.
0: Right, no. Right, but he's so unfazed (laughs) by it, and everyone around him is like, "Don't you think that's weird that you happen to be the guy sitting at the window of this restaurant when a dude comes in with an axe and tries to murder you, and then you get hired to work for his publishing company?" And you know, to find the guy. Yeah,
1: not to sound like Griffin, but please, please, that's how it speaks (laughs) so well to the current moment where it's like. Sounds like Riff. You know, everything is sort of quietly so skewed and strange, and society seems to be crumbling. But the way to get through it for so many people is just to be like, I don't know. Things seem normal mostly. So I guess I'll just sort of ignore the weird stuff, right? Like, that's the only way to to make it through the day. And, like, that's why this is such a good depiction of Apocalypse. Uh, Such a good, like, uh, current, like, depiction of Apocalypse.
0: I love that all the early looks of sort of affected people are different too. Mm -hmm. Like someone like the agent is like, okay, this looks like someone, you know, who's in like the grip of psychosis, you know, hasn't slept, is not taking care of themselves. And some people look like they are, you know, have been infected with a zombie virus. You have people bleeding out of their eyes. Like there's a range of... um, I don't know, of of visual triggers of people who are in some way being touched by this thing so that it's it's all just generally disorienting. Mm. Well, one thought I was having about the people, right, who are possessed, they have to have
3: read the books, right? hmm But I feel like I know the kind of audiences that read those paperbacks, and I feel like way more people should have looked like they were on vacation. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like... It should have been more like retired people.
0: Do you know what I'm saying? That was like, I feel like one misstep. You're saying the biggest outbreak should be happening at the airport. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Or just, yeah. And like beach towns. That to me feels like the vibe.
2: But I mean, Sutter Cain's bigger than Stephen King. So, I mean, I think just like everybody is reading his shit. Right. Like he's just that bitch.
1: He's bigger than the Holy Bible. It is funny that they bring, they mention Stephen King. They actually yeah. uh, oh, nag yeah. him a little bit.
0: It's a successful version of the the Studio 60 thing. The S-
1: Studio 60 insisting that SNL also exists, yes.
0: right? Right. In this one, it works because you're like, oh fuck, he's bigger than that. And Studio 60, they're like, yeah, we keep on getting beaten by SNL in the ratings. It's like beaten, motherfucker. You'd be canceled. <laughs> This show's even, not; you would exist. The air. There's right.
1: only room for one of these dumb things. There's right. definitely not room for two. Um, yeah, it's because like it'd be mean, one thing if Studio 60 was like about making a Mad TV-style show where it's like, yeah, this is a piece of shit. What? We're all idiots. But it's Studio 60, they all act about. like they. I know, but in Studio 6 they all acted like they invented humor. Like they're all pulling down like leather bound books and talking about like Commedia dell'arte and shit. Like the whole thing is, you know, shot by fucking looks like, you know, Janusz Kaminski is like, you know, it's
0: it's ridiculous. Uh, That show is blowing up its own ass. Blowing the dust off of vinyl records of cavemen doing the first Who's On First routine. I truly am dreading
1: the Aaron Sorkin I Love Lucy thing because it's going to be the same it's going to be monologues about how important it is that they are making comedy that people see or
0: something right like it's just going to be so much of that i have to imagine i i I think it's going to be the best horror film of 2021 (laughs) i'm i'm sort of i'm maybe in the opposite boat uh, from you in that i'm eagerly anticipating it but but with a sort of like gleeful menace yeah
2: Yeah. sorkin is is just I am not on Sorkin's wavelength.
0: Look, I love him when I love him. This feels like a horrible, horrible match (laughs) of subject for him. And I also think the casting is fully demented.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's going to be it. Clunker. I just god. keep
1: imagining Javier Bardem playing Desi Arnaz, like as Salazar from Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay. Oh my Angelica.
2: god,
1: <laughs> Angelica, please take us back on topic or say yeah, whatever, say yeah, anything, I was say like, anything I, I at was all. Like,
2: what, what the fuck are you? Gonna, where the fuck is this road going? But I wanted Nowhere. to kind of go back to something <laughs> about like the effective um, use of like different people who become sort of possessed and start changing. I think one of the most striking examples is one of those little kids when um, Styles is like going to to the black church and she turns around because the ball kind of hits her ankles and she sees these little gross looking kids around her car. And the one who talks has like these really fucked up pointy teeth and blood covering her mouth and says something like, it's mommy's day. Like, bitch, get the fuck away from me, okay? <laughs> that, uh, See, uh, kids, fuck them. Love, too.
1: love that freaky little kid. <laughs> love that the other kids aren't fucked up looking. They're just kids, but you kind of think they're all fucked up looking because of it. You know what I mean? You're like, kids are weird looking. <laughs> like, yeah, they can be. Yeah.
2: some children yeah. are ugly, also, and we need to be honest about that. Some, some need to, some we need babies to. Babies are them. not cute. We, need we, to we to have them. to tell them.
1: Right. My baby is cute and I know that she's cute because some babies are not cute. And that's that is something we have
0: to talk about. There's also I mean, there's another reason we know your baby is cute. Why? Because she looks like the boss baby and the boss baby was cute enough to sell movie tickets. Yeah,
2: there you go.
0: Angelica, his baby looks just like the boss baby. Okay. He says my baby right. looks like the boss baby. I'll, I'll send you a picture privately. I'll have you respond live on air. I I, 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 look, David, you, you fucking, you brush it off, but every single person who meets her goes like, it is true. She looks like the boss baby. <laughs> She's a baby.
2: She's, <laughs> She's a, a baby. white baby with exactly, a round head.
0: She looks like she, the boss baby. She looks exactly like the boss <laughs> baby. More right, right, so than any other baby looks like the boss baby. Right. I'm
2: so eagerly anticipating seeing this real-life boss baby. But let's go back to In the Mouth of madness's yes, Greatness. But, yes, please.
0: What
1: you're saying is true. And the same with the old lady with her husband tied to her, handcuffed to her ankle. Like, you're know, Just weaponizing small-town cuteness and making it the creepiest thing in the world is always going To work on me, like I, I love you know, I love uh, the menace of you know, a bread and breakfast town, basically. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Um, what else is going on in Hobbs End?
2: Too much, there's just it just seems like a mess. I know we sort of alluded to this earlier, but the when Sam neil is trying to escape and is able to you know get into the car. Um and, like, keeps trying to escape and going over the bridge, but then he ends up right back in front of the town's mutated townspeople. I would be so annoyed. I mean, he did that a few times. I yeah. would be like, you know what? Annoying. Okay, can Annoying. you just move me on to some other part of the story, Sutter <laughs> Kane? Because this, I'm, fuck this shit. Yeah, I'm just, you know... This movie, every time I watch it, I kind of discover something new or kind of hone in on a different aspect. And one thing I really dug about it, especially after seeing a not good horror movie soon after uh, at a press screening, um is its texture. It's so textured visually. There's like the slimy drippiness of the monsters and tentacles that you see, but then there's also like the cracked skin of certain other characters. I'm, you know, the softness of the pad itself. It just feels so dynamic um, in terms of texture visually that kind of, that even more brings you into this world in a really fascinating way.
0: A hard
1: degree. Um I I I movies look often look very flat now. They do,
2: I, too glossy, too.
1: Very glossy. I appreciate that you can make a cheap movie these days and you know, get it online and people can watch it and I know there's advantages to that, but I do often feel like they have this kind of anonymous flatness to them that can be a little depressing. And yeah, man, this is a this is a fucking rich movie, like, you know, visually. Um, it, I it I I miss it
2: said too
1: did you see the fucking trailer for the new home alone griff <sighs> yes i did uh home sweet home alone or whatever it's called yes. the disney plus home alone angelica let me tell you the, the premise is they leave the kid home alone and some burglars come it's the exact oh, same thing yeah. um but the thing about it is it's got that kind of flatness uh that mm. you, would, yes. you know the sort of straight to streaming flatness and then you think about home alone which is like that's a movie that was a it's a chris columbus movie that was really just kind of like a down the yeah. middle kind of family movie and now you watch that and you're like god this thing is it looks so good like the grain the yes. on this is beautiful like
0: it, that's it where, looks like lawrence of arabia now.
1: it, is,
3: it <laughs> is
0: bizarre
1: yes Oh, it has texture. And again, like practical, it's beautiful. Yes. The, the weather looks great. The location filming is great. Uh, anyway, that's 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 how sick things have gotten. That's all. <laughs>
0: Okay, now Angel- Angelica's laughing because I I sent in, uh, into the uh, private chat the a picture of the boss baby, but that's for comparison. Okay, okay. I
2: was like, this is just a boss baby. Is his child that a is cartoon? The boss baby.
0: My child is not a cartoon. She's flesh and blood. <laughs> she is. I will give her that. I will actually. I will give her that. Now, hold on one second. I'm sending mm-hmm. the uh, the second photo here. Give me one moment.
4: Mm-hmm,
0: um, mm-hmm. It, it is it is absurd though, and it's like I don't know. Especially considering how uh, cheap uh, most Carpenter movies were. It is amazing how much he just understood how to get the most out of images, you know?
2: Totally. I mean, visually dynamic in terms of framing, how characters are blocked. I mean, it's just every level visually is just kind of firing on all cylinders, especially here. And... You know, one of my favorite moments comes in the end visually and is the background of both of y'all's Zoom, Mm. (laughs) where, you know, it's ripped pages from what we can assume Mm -hmm. is Sutter Kane's uh, manuscript. And it's like he rips, I mean, Sutter Kane rips himself apart and then that reveals, like, oh, these are pages and it's almost like he's opening it up to this other world and you don't even see what Sam Neil is looking at through this um torn um sort of it almost looks like a cave opening in a weird way and you you don't know what he sees but you see his facial expression and you're like is, oh yeah we're in we're in for some shit y'all
1: that that's that lovecraft magic where it's like you know it's better to see how how it makes someone look to look at something than just show it like you know you're gonna get more out of their reaction um and the shot you're talking about the ripped page thing just that's just classic carpenter i feel like where he's like when when i'm going to deploy visual <gasps> effects oh, i'm gonna make sure oh
0: there what she is cute
2: baby they do look like boss baby cool. oh little boss baby i, I will griff Timed I will out say, perfectly, you got
0: David. I I got the right comparison, did I not? Well, you you got you got her in a boss baby pose. She's uh, she's on her. On I didn't her get tummy. her in that pose. You got her in that pose, and I've just <laughs> saved she, it. She it gets herself in that
1: pose. You put her on her back. She rolls under her tummy in one second. Can we anyway. also say
0: how well that timed out? That Angelica yeah, responding yeah, yeah. to how much your daughter looks like the boss baby coincided with As you. As talk about how much more effective it is to horror. see. <laughs> no, no, how much more effective it is to see someone
2: react to seeing something. Yeah, totally. Yes, and yes. that's something I'm hyper aware of watching newer horror films where, you know, they have these CGI, mostly CGI monsters, and it's yes. just, like, ugly. It's not engaging visually, and it's better a lot... You, you guys are right. It's better a lot of times to not see something fully and let the audience's imagination sort of fill in the blanks because what they can fill in the blanks with is you know, personally scary to them. So it's more effective.
0: What is most wild to me is that Carpenter, like you read the interviews at the time, sort of bemoaned the fact that he couldn't use CGI because this is post Jurassic Park and T2. Mm -hmm. And he was like, yeah, the budget isn't big enough. So I'm back to using rubber again. Like he was sort of (laughs) very dismissive of it. And, you know, outside of, like, those two examples and some other very, very high-level cutting-edge movies, so many of the movies, the 90s films without massive budgets that use CGI, it has aged just so horribly. Like, they did not have the skill and the artistry to know how to execute it. And this movie has one big CGI effect, I would say, which is when, like, Sutter Kane starts ripping mm-hmm. himself, and mm-hmm. it is so effective and it is so scary. It's clearly a very simple cheap trick but Mm -hmm. the fact that that's the one thing that is digital rather than practical and it is a a, an effect that feels like you are ripping at the seams of reality Mm -hmm. like you are tearing the movie in half you transition from that into the the more practical thing that we both have as the background of like the pages and Mm -hmm. sam neill walking into it and whatever but i i find that image so scary to like see a man sort of like cut the, the fabric of time and space around him and just start peeling it back.
2: Yeah, and then I really like how you see Cedric Kane a little bit later in one of Sam Neill's dreams after he's able to, quote-unquote, well, he doesn't really escape the town. He's more, like, let out. Right. Um, so he can bring Cedric uh, Kane's manuscript to the rest of the world, and starting with his publishing company... Um, but I love that moment with between uh, Sutter Kane and John Trent on, on the bus and <laughs> Sutter Kane's whole I'm God now. I'm like every writer wants to be able to say that like why yes my creations are real and I am God now. Yeah. And and then when he like thinks he w- he he's like did I ever tell you my favorite color was blue. And he thinks he uh. wakes up and then every the hair of the old woman sitting next to him every everything everybody's wearing the way the light is the blue
0: filter right it's the, like yeah
2: oh yeah it's and then he wakes up again and then he's you know screaming on the bus which is probably what i would do absolutely well and it's such a
0: scary concept that it's like this guy can just keep on popping up in your head and going like rewrite i've decided to add this and your reality is that quickly changed around you or is it Like, you wake up the second time and you're like, well, now I don't fucking know what to make of anything. Um, I, I, uh, you know, I maybe prefer... I probably prefer The Thing to this, Mm. but I feel like The Thing gets so much credit for how bleak its ending is, you know, when people talk about that movie... This feels to me like far and away the bleakest ending he's ever had in any of his yeah,
2: films. Yeah, I think it, that's it, why it is, I like it so much. It is
0: insane how relentless the last 25 minutes of this movie are. Because you have this sort of, oh, he breaks through the page. The town is letting him free, right? And we're used to either in movies like this, everything returns to some state of normalcy and at the end there's some like shrug, look-to-the-camera mm-hmm. question of like, or is it? Or the guy actually finds a way to defeat the thing, right? And in this, it's like, no, as you said, they sort of just let him go, but he infects everyone with him, and things just get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And then you cut back to him in the cell explaining all of this to David Warner. And it's like, yeah, well, you're right. That is a pretty bad story. And then things get worse. They get worse out of the story he's telling. Right. Yeah. And He's just
1: like, yeah, so is the world ended yet? And David Warner's like, I don't want to talk about it. So let's
0: get back to you. <laughs> and then like, the fucking hospital blows up. He's stri- he-, he wanders the streets like I am legend. He goes to watch his own movie. And he's like,
1: right, I am a character in a fictional universe. And he laughs because, yeah, how, el- how-, how could you not do the best ending of all time? I mean, th- yeah. that's the best ending imaginable. It's incredible. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's an incredible ending.
1: The yeah. blue scare is so good. I just want to talk, just again. I just want to. Talk. Oh yes. It's so simple.
2: It's, it's sort of that Lynchian, gel like you know, you know. The, the,
1: yeah, the exactly. Where it's yeah, just, yeah, right. Just like one unsettling thing is is all you need to do to yeah. to completely discombobulate the audience. It's so good.
2: Yeah, like I think this movie obviously is really good at the like super weird shit, tentacles, sure. whatever. But there's also yeah, like just really simple. Scares that just kind of cut through everything and leave a chill in your fucking bones. I mean, the
0: the old lady at the front desk with her husband shackled to her is it, it maybe the image that lingers with me the most and is not graphic, you yeah. know, it is is not gory, but it's just so bizarre. It it is like lynchian and it's upsetting. And there's it, there's something unnerving to how casual she is about it.
2: Yeah, and just kicking him. <laughs> right. Her conversation
0: <laughs> with Samuel before that her temperament is so weird because they've established her as this sort of like... You know, archetypal nice old lady in a small town, and then she starts like cursing at Sam Neill, right? Like saying like I don't know some shit or whatever.
2: Yeah, because he, I think, asks if she did the painting, and he's like, and she's like, hell no. And I'm like, okay, lady. Right,
0: and then she's like, oh, (laughs) her husband's just suffering by her side. Like, yeah, shackled together.
2: Weird. A lot of the, I mean, the town, everything in Hobbs End is very effective with you know, something uh David said earlier with regards to using a small town and then sort of, you know, moving things a few spaces to the left. Mm. Like, even when they first arrive, there's, like, no one around. Which is creepy. There's no one. It's empty streets except for when she sees the kids and then yep. doesn't see the kids, which is another super creepy thing. Like, okay, ha- what? <laughs> you know, like... Yeah destabilizing
1: he pulls that trick so many times and it always works where it's like she looks out the car window for a second and they're like in the sky and she's like huh and she that looks again, and they're not like that always works that the kid with the like we said the kid on the bike who turns into an old man's got the weird joker cards in the spokes mm-hmm. like that yeah the focus on the little details like that that's that's awesome yeah uh, and then yeah i mean the buildup in this movie is so cool. And then it delivers. Like, you know, like you're like, okay, but it actually better be unsettling when you finally peel back the veil, right? Like when you, you know, get to the mouth of madness. And uh and he pulls that off too. Yeah. His lair rules. Oh, yeah. He's got a good
2: Dude,
3: lair. That red lair, like that writing room of his would like you, you know, David, you guys, Angelica, uh, as writers, would you want to? work in that kind of room in that kind of space would that be helpful <laughs> i mean for you? i do have
2: a typewriter so i, cool. I like to fix typewriters so
3: so if you kind of just had a lava vibe
2: yeah i love that <laughs> maybe i'll get a lava lamp and sort of approximate that sort of okay vibe i or yeah. you know put blood on my walls or whatever the hell else <laughs> he was doing up in there
1: I, I was very envious of him, like, quickly typing out a page and being like, finished. I was like, yeah. okay, all right. Okay. You know, I was
2: like, fuck you, dude. I definitely yeah. ain't writing like that. I, that actually <laughs> no. um, brings up something that w- only popped into my head this watch, which was, you know, having a character reading a book is usually boring as shit, Right. And so, like, the way this movie kind of approaches the reading by having, like, Sam Neill fall asleep and then, like, you know, it's almost like what he's reading infects his mind and, like, his perspective. Like, when he um, kept having the dream of, you know, seeing the alleyway, the cop, the cop turns around, face gnarled. Um, But I was like, that's a smart way of, like, getting across the vibe of the book um, without... You know, hearing voiceover of Sam Neill reading what Sutter Kane wrote. Although we do hear Styles at one point reading from a passage, um, which worked though.
0: I'm I'm confused, Angelica. Are you saying that Nocturnal Animals is not a compelling structure for a movie? <laughs> to have a two-hour film where a woman reads a book and every 15 Don't minutes puts the book down, movie. calls someone, gets their voicemail, goes back to reading the book, takes a bath. Reads the book some more, thinks about some
2: other shit. I legit forgot about that movie. Existing. Of course you did. And I've seen it. You're... I've seen it before. I went to a press yep. screening. I remember yep. seeing it I that saw movie. that shit. It's
0: self-defense. <laughs> we all had to forget about that movie.
1: I just we can't always have it in her
0: head. I just every four months I think, did he really do that? Is the movie really just her reading the book? And then she yeah. like goes, ooh, what a bad chapter. Well, yeah. back to reading. Does she read it out loud? No 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 it, what you just watch her read yeah and then you see the book and then you also see some other memories she's having don't watch it it's just
3: no i mean i'm not yeah. too i was just like they just show her reading for like five minutes
0: yeah and then like yeah. her cannibal husband comes home and he's like how are you doing and she's like okay i'm reading this book
2: and it's like back to the other parallel storyline which is the book it's so fuck that's why i'm like you know this movie is smart about what it needs to get across with understanding mm-hmm. who Sutter Kane is and how his uh, his work looms large over the right. world, um, and it, even, it
0: doesn't you know. need to do like a fucking ten minute sequence where you see one of the books acted out. Like you understand the hallmarks you need to understand without them having to spend that much time
2: exactly, it's which good. I think it's just good shit. I feel like this is the our takeaways. Good shit. It's good, good shit. shit. Good, this
0: shit. Is good shit. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's just like, and it's also just so much fun to feel like challenged by a movie. That's not necessarily like trying to be some super highbrow, whatever the fuck that even means these days. Um, piece of work. It's just, it's, it's kind of luring you into something. It's challenging what you think is real. It's fucking with your brain a little bit. And then it ends bleak as hell as a reminder of, hey, the world sucks. It's all going to shit.
0: It's it's the like the drag me to hell thing that I love. Oh yeah, like, you're you're fulfilling the promise on on the on the can, you know? This movie is about like the fucking apocalypse and reality tearing apart. They're gonna fucking do it. They're sh- they're gonna show you exactly what they say the threat of the movie is.
2: Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, yeah, drag me to hell. Wow. Good ending. You know, good endings are hard to like mm-hmm. re- it's you know, especially with genre works, sometimes like you know, you remember a lot of other things from from a work, but maybe not its ending. But Carpenter has some really dope endings um, That's as a true. filmmaker. He's,
1: you're you're right. Yeah, he kind of is the ending killer yeah the fog ending rules obviously the thing has
3: the a very sad setting even prince I mean, of darkness
2: escape i like the ending
3: escape from new york is such a fucking yeah him just cool
0: walking ending. off he gets yeah. out so yeah. quickly
2: right that's the yeah. other it's thing
1: same with big trouble in little china where he's like i'm not gonna kiss you and then he leaves and he's got a monster in his truck uh they live
0: what's the ending of they live they live ends with the fucking oh, alien, oh, alien the couple yes. fucking
2: yes yes it's this the alien thing. Right. so that's and like, great yeah
0: what are you looking at yeah
2: oh my god uh, if that happened to me lord jesus have mercy i don't know how i would react
0: i don't know that's maybe uh, the kind of freaky shit i'm into oh mm. uh, maybe oh, boy, maybe i'm working through it i'm working through alien it. sex uh yeah. yeah no it's good it's good it's just
1: a bunch of yeah he, he he's a punchy it's his sort of howard hoxie thing right He's like, yeah. I'm not going to let the you know send the audience out unsatisfied. Like he, you know, I'm an old fashioned filmmaker. Uh, I want to, you know, I want to nail it. And this might be my favorite of his endings, though. Like I just love the whole recursive. It's,
2: it's one of the yeah. best
0: endings ever. Yeah, same. Yeah, here.
2: yeah. Um, it's funny because um, Vulture was is uh, a lot of packages got moved around that we do because of the because of the pandemic and feeling mm, like, like certain things wouldn't. Of-
1: 50 best type packages like this yeah of, yeah it was yeah, doing yeah, yeah, like yeah.
2: a really big package on best endings and i remember I think it that having, came out yeah yeah i think it eventually came out but like you know we were like in the conversations amongst the critics and other people at vulture who were working on it we were like we'll only do like one ending from a filmmaker we're not going to do multiple like we can't list every mm. wilder ending or um and I, I was like, I know everybody wants, you know, the thing for Carpenter, and I get it. But In That's the Mouth good. of Madness is, yeah. is, like, to me, such an evocative gut punch of an ending. And then, you know, Sam Neill laughing until he's crying just really gets across, like, wow. This person is, like, truly and deeply fucked,
0: I uh, wholeheartedly agree. I'm trying to find here, Angelica, because you were sort of even evoking this. But like uh, J.J.R. Researcher pulled up some quotes Mm. where Carpenter was just throwing shade at this idea of people trying to – and it's now what I feel like gets called elevated horror. And he had a different term here he used, but Mm. that – even at this point in the uh, up, 90s.
1: Upscale
0: horror is the term that Michael DeLuca.
1: Yes, yeah, <laughs> so Michael DeLuca basically talked about, like, there's two kinds of horror films. There's the sort of low-budget stuff that's more direct-to-video, and then there's a movie market for interesting high-concept upscale horror films he's talking about. At the time, Interview with the Vampire, and Wolf, he's, he's citing <laughs> his examples, which is funny because, right, those are movies, like, Interview with the Vampire is kind of trying to be like an epic period drama. Wolf is sort of a satire. Like, they're not leading with horror. No. And right. uh, they ask
0: Carpenter about it, and he's like, that's a terrible word. <laughs> like, right. I hate this. <laughs> and he was just sort of like, I like monsters and aliens. and sh- I don't feel the need to try to impress upon people that I'm doing it in a more serious way. I mean, he said, Carpenter like specifically um invoked uh Coppola's Dracula as like mm. that was sort of seen as maybe this is a transition point to horror being a slightly more legitimate genre and that everyone was sort of trying to copy that for a while in the nineties and it didn't really take hold. You know, the fact that Wolf and um interviewing a vampire are like the two things that DeLuca's throwing out there is like these are the two tracks of this.
2: Yeah, that that's really fascinating hearing Carpenter's perspective on that just because I feel like we're in a really weird time for horror where you know the way horror is talked about is still strange especially amongst critics like I think there's a lot of critics who just don't fuck with horror and it shows whenever they do a horror review yeah but it's also like I think sometimes I get this since from certain filmmakers who dipped into, who are dipping into horror now that they're almost embarrassed they're doing horror. So they have to make things like trauma exploration, like the guiding thrust of the work rather than, you know, actually effectively scaring people and like getting under your skin and doing fascinating things visually. I don't know. I'm kind of depressed with modern horror um, from Hollywood.
0: it It's just, it is very interesting to me that Carpenter was complaining about sort of the exact same things that are being debated right now, almost thirty years ago. Because uh, everything's
2: cyclical. Like, I'm I'm really I'm working on a really big piece, um, probably the biggest in my career that will be out before ooh. the end of the year, and I'm not going to spoil what it's about.
0: It's about a big red dog, right?
2: Oh, totally. The fact big that you said red big red dog
0: several times <laughs> makes me think it has to be a clip.
2: <laughs> but one thing it kind of led me to do was to read a lot of criticism from Black critics from like, you know, decades and decades prior. And I'm like, we're still talking about the same shit with representation, with colorism, with, you know, Black filmmakers being used by the Hollywood system to give the veneer of progress. All these things are like so cyclical and it's really, I think, important You know, to understand history in order to even understand the moment we're in, you know, I mean, for
0: reminding me of this thing that now is slightly on subject that I can bring up that I was going down this rabbit hole last night was pretty fascinated by. Uh, I I was thinking, you know, in in another uh, insomniac night being uh, tortured by my thoughts, unable to sleep uh, about uh, Roosevelt Franklin who was like a very early Sesame Street character who was sort mm-hmm. of like the early breakout character of that show or at least one of them and then got phased out by the 70s. He was maybe kind of the the, early, the Elmo of his moment where he mm. was sort of the closer yeah. child analog character. And he was like a little boy with a striped shirt and he had a little bit of a mischievous attitude. And Sesame Street was so specifically catered towards, like, we are trying to create a show that can promote literacy within inner-city children who perhaps don't have the educational support that they need, right? Like, so Sesame Street was really designed to represent that kind of city and have that kind of diversity and not just be a show for, like, small white children. And Franklin Roosevelt was supposed to sort of be, like, a black Muppet in theory, right? is kind Hmm. of coded that way, and most of his segments took place within his school. And I was reading articles written in like 1972 debating whether franklin roosevelt is a good stereotype or not and they feel so similar to the types of things now these articles were mostly being written by black journalists in black journals right mm. but it's the kind of think pieces you see today and then fox news gets all the fucking wound up and goes like oh so now they're saying that cookie monster has to be canceled <laughs> these people where do they stop and it's like these debates have been going on forever forever these same conversations always fucking happen and people go oh so now we can't just enjoy things you know yeah it's 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 like an unending spectrum it it is bizarre just how much more upset people get now when things are debated
2: oh totally and i think that also, I mean, links to something that unsurprisingly is on my mind quite a bit. But people's discomfort with any sort of criticism that brings a strong intellectual historical right. perspective. It's, oh, people can't just enjoy things. I mean, pe- that's why I'm off fucking Twitter, because I'm like, you know what? Smart. I I can't. It's not, good. I'm le- it's not And it's, you know, you let so many other voices in your head. And I think that's actually not good for you creatively. Like, you can kind of lose your own voice amongst the masses.
3: Talk about in the mouth of madness, am I right?
2: I know. Yeah, that is basically Twitter. (laughs) But, you know, I think that having a critical perspective is really important. Like, you can, like, for example, with In the Mouth of Madness, can I just, like, watch it and just enjoy it just as a, you know, piece of spectacle and horror on a more visceral level? Of course, but it also invites you to think about really fascinating subject matter, the nature of madness, the nature of reality, um, our own perspective on ourselves and others and how other people look at us. I mean, I think those are all worthy subjects of consideration and thought. But also, yeah, the movie just rips. And I think it's it sucks that there's not more movies that I feel can work on both levels, both intellectually, viscerally emotionally visually i think you know in the mouth of madness is just really good at kind of firing from all cylinders in a way that you don't really see that much anymore and especially you know stateside i'm speaking of and especially in horror
0: yeah for sure um, yeah. yeah i mean this is he like where I, I'm, I'm just going to read this verbatim because mm-hmm. it's really good. Uh, this is from a film threat interview. But um, uh, people asking about uh, commentary being put into his work uh, mm-hmm. and whether this movie was ultimately, above all else, trying to be a statement on this idea of the cyclical nature of like, art encouraging violence and and yada, yada, yada. And he said, this is not a new thing. When I was a kid, and this gets back to also what we're fucking talking about, how about the same arguments are had cyclically over decades and people act like it's a new thing. So he says, this is not a new thing. When I was a kid watching television, there were these documentaries on TV asking, are foreign movies too violent? This is really not a satirical film, but it's based on the idea that Sutter Kane is being told what to write by these creatures from the beyond. And so when people read this stuff, they become possessed, paranoid schizophrenics and run around killing people with axes so in that sense yeah it is a take on the ridiculous premise that television movies and books can create killers but most importantly he says angelica hopefully that isn't the first thing on people's minds hopefully you're screaming rather than thinking like this is his whole thing is he's always like i'll tell you what's in my fucking mind while i'm making this movie i have shit i i'm a deep thinker i have things i want (laughs) to say but i'm not trying to make like polemic films And primarily, my number one concern is I want to entertain people. I -hmm. want to entertain people in the way that the movie is set up to entertain them. I want to fulfill the obligations of that genre. I want to give them the visceral excitement that they came for. And if they want to think about the shit, then fine. They can. Um, The other quote I just want to read here. Mm. So this is from Cinefest Fantastique, the, the French movie magazine from the year before this movie came out. And he's sort of talking about how earlier in his career he felt a need to prove to people that he wasn't just a horror guy. He was never embarrassed about being a horror filmmaker, but that he always you know, wanted to do westerns and dramas and seen as someone who had range. And his quote is, I love horror. I love science fiction. I had different kinds of dreams when I was younger, when I was trying to break into Hollywood. I wanted to direct westerns and action pictures. Then Halloween came along and gave me basically a career. And I struggled with it for a while. But I've come to understand what a gift it was and how wonderful it was. I'm extremely happy being John Carpenter. I enjoy it.
2: Aw, I like love that. really
0: sweet. And this feels like sweet. a movie made by a guy who's at that exact state in his life. And comfort with himself and it is so good that he got
1: over whatever like you know like so much of the this sort of like Ash, i want to be a studio guy but i hate the studios and like i don't want to just be the horror guy but i'm clearly the master of heart you know like that he, <laughs> yeah. he sort of came to you know some sort of self-awareness and self-respect now he just seems like the coolest
2: mm-hmm. i know you know he's
1: like Doing his music and just sort of like you know giving these interviews where he like mouths off and has fun and I I don't know like doesn't he just sort of seem uh, d- like a, d- a del- yeah. delightfully sort of like self assured uh, settled guy? He's like yeah. I made Halloween. Fuck you.
0: It's it's also funny how in <laughs> that same interview where he's complaining about the idea of upscale horror, he's like I don't know. Cronenberg says he doesn't want to do horror anymore. <laughs> like he already in nineteen ninety four was like yeah, this like, fucking sheesh. guy. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I love that. I would love to smoke weed with Carpenter and play some video games.
0: I think oh, Angelica, hell yeah. it's, that's the easiest thing to pitch him on. I, think. I
2: know. That's why I'm like, hey, I'm always the friend who has weed and like in multiple forms. I'm like, hey, you want an edible? I got an edible. You can bring you want the weed. Exactly. I got this, I got this yeah. joint. And with Carpenter, it would work. Most of my friends do not smoke weed like I do, but it would work on him.
0: You should have like like send out the official request through Vulture (laughs) like we are proposing a piece in which the two of you smoke weed and play video games. And if anything comes up, then cool. If not,
2: I would love to actually have a column at Vulture that's either like reassessing films while I'm blazed as fuck or interviewing (laughs) people while blazed as fuck.
1: That I would be scared of. I would be very anxious. Or maybe I would be less scared. You know what? Maybe I would be less anxious if I just got stoned before interviews. Oh, God. I'm anxious enough before them already. Um, should we play the box office game? Yes. Let's play the box office game. This movie came out February 3rd, 1995. It was kind of unceremoniously dumped yeah, a little dump. by New Line, uh, sort of a betrayal by mm-hmm. new line, because um, they weirdly like just kind of apparently kind of chose between Wes Craven's New Nightmare and this. Mm-hmm. They didn't want them to both come out in the Halloween period, and so that's they picked New Nightmare, which is a wonderful movie. Yeah, it's, I love but it was that a
0: movie. Huge flop. No, it it did better than this. But well, I, mean, I feel like it was. Uh, yeah. I I feel like it was not well received at the time. People were pretty fucking no, confused. It made by like it. twenty million dollars okay. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like you know, wasn't at, whereas this
1: comes out in February and makes eight million dollars total. Like it was wow. really wow. just got abandoned, which sucks. Yeah. yeah. Um. But and it opened number four at the box office. Griffin mm-hmm. at it's a rude. weird lame box office. Number one is a epic movie that i feel like is kind of forgotten partly because it's not that good mm. um but it was it was a a big moment for a, a crucial hottie um sort of so one it's of a his brad pitt movie like starring roles yeah there you go you is it, it? uh <laughs> legends of the fall it's legends of the fall no. yeah yeah no. have either of you seen legends of the fall
2: Yes, I actually ranked all of Brad Pitt's performances about a year or two ago, so I have... Where did
1: you put Legends of the Fall?
2: Not high up there, I will Mm, say that. Not really. Like, I know a lot of people like Kim in it because he's hot and has long hair and shit, but I'm like, he's, like, not good in it. There's a lot of, like... It was really interesting ranking all of his performances because I was like, damn, you were sucking for a while, dude. It took you a minute to find the right balance and figure out your persona.
1: It's that right. He he he's that actor who feels kind of uncomfortable just kind of playing the swashbuckling leading like he exactly. needed to kind of play some weirdos to sort of figure yep. out how his image worked better mm-hmm. I don't know Griff but what yeah, were you going my say Griff? No,
0: my my like, understanding of that movie's legacy is just that that's the one where the hotness crystallized and it was kind of a disproportionate hit it's at very the time hot. because people Super had Brad hot. fever but no one really cares about that movie it no. was just the, the long hair broke everyone's brains for a moment mm-hmm. It's also funny because it's Anthony Hopkins
1: kind of at like the peak of his stardom too like post silence of the lambs and it it's also one of those movies though where like uh brad pitt's character is you know it's set in montana and he's the one who like understands america and native american traditions but also he's like this you know super white blonde guy yeah i don't know like there's a lot of there's a lot of stupidity in that movie Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. uh it's very pretty i guess john toll sort of a a handsome anyway legends of fall big hit Mm. Uh, it's number one in it in in its seventh week, Griffin. Jesus, wow! It's just yeah. it's been number one for four or five weeks. It's it's been doing great. Um, number two is, and I I say this not pejoratively, but it is uh, the kind of movie that at the time Hollywood called a chick flick. Uh, okay. I would say it's one of the lesser remembered ones, but it's three kind of major good actresses. Uh, it's a road trip movie.
0: Is it um, uh, okay? Is it how to make an American quilt? It's not how to make an American quilt. Um, uh, f- You're wait, sort of this, in the right zone. Yeah. Is this the one with Drew Barrymore? Drew Barrymore, uh, Whoopi Goldberg,
1: and Mary Louise Parker. Is it Boys yeah. on the Side? Boys on the side. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Herbert Ross's seen... Boys on the Side. I've never seen it either. No. Um, I know that Mary Louise Parker. I think. Uh gets AIDS in it. It was sort of like one of those kind of like weepy comedy dramas that has like social issues kind of like woven into the script mm. and it's kind of Ew. obvious. It's written by Don Roos, uh before yeah, Herbert he Ross. makes directed by Herbert Ross, yes. Right. Okay. Pico. But you know, as much as I've never seen this movie, and I don't think this is like a particularly beloved movie wild to imagine hollywood releasing a whoopee drew mary louise parker movie now you know what i mean like you know, oh yeah it's just yeah they put them out but it's a warner brothers release uh, but
0: we talked about this because what fried green tomatoes came up fried in green the tomatoes box office a year before there was this right, era of, of just two, doing yeah. this sort of like generational women's light drama and they were big and you it, like it goes all the way to sort of like uh you know the waiting to exhale but you can kind of like mermaids as maybe a starting point mm-hmm. uh I still magnolias obviously I don't know it was like this was a, it was a fertile genre for about a decade there yeah um number three we're swerving Griffin um
1: okay. Griff uh, Ben pay attention this movie I feel like it was your kind of movie it is a um I don't know it's a comedy mm. uh About two guys who had become very popular as... uh it's the Jerky Boys hey, on the, movie. On, on, it's the Jerky Boys movie. How do you Hell how do yeah. you
0: give clues to the Jerky Boys movie? Yeah, here's how I guessed it. You said it was a big Ben Energy movie, and you struggled to explain how these guys became popular. There's no other movie that fits that better than the Jerky Boys movie. I don't know. Who are these guys? They were fucking... Oh, it's the Jerky Boys movie. They're prank
2: callers. They're prank callers. I've only ever heard of it. I never... Not I my also cup of tea. Not my well, tea Well, it really ben, is just like designed. The
3: boys? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's designed for 13 year olds. Like uh, yeah. Yeah. it's just for
1: little shits. Have you seen the film? Because I believe the premise of the film is that the jerky boys prank call the mafia. Correct.
3: correct.
0: And I believe Peter Falk get in plays trouble? the mom or it's, yeah. no. Alan Arkin plays Alan the Alan Arkin, boss? it looks like. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay.
3: I remember seeing it and walking away and being like, not enough prank calls. <laughs>
2: Wow! Right. Wow! Too much
1: plot. Too much plot. Too
3: much plot. More pranks. <laughs> they
1: forgot what made them good. Right? Yeah, man. That's uh, where they made number their number four. Error. Number four. That's where they not calling the mafia. Number four is in the mouth <laughs> of madness. Number five is one of the hit hit comedies of of this year. It technically came out Christmas time, but it's uh, going to make so dumb much and dumber? money. It's Dumb and Dumber.
0: Yeah, that's another big new line movie. I mean, mm. yeah, uh, yeah. That's another Very movie DeLuca so. gets credit for, for spearheading. Yeah.
2: 1994. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Feels like a lifetime ago.
1: Yeah. I was eight years old. Um Nobody's I was not Fool. even
2: five. So I was I was young.
1: Yeah. Humble brag.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh you got you got Nobody's Fool, the Paul Newman movie, and number six. Mm-hmm. You have Highlander The Final Dimension. Is That's that three? three? I think that's three. that is three. Yes, with uh, Christopher Lambert. That is the one apparently where with uh, Mario Van Peebles is maybe the villain. I'm not sure. I'm sorry. I it.
0: think that is four because Highlander. No, no, no. You're right. You're right. You're right. It was released in it's other countries three. as Highlander Three: The Sorcerer. That's what it was.
1: Okay. It sometimes was called The Sorcerer. I have also only seen the original Highlander. I have not yeah. seen The Quickening. I have not seen
0: Endgame. Well,
1: Apparently, they told me... More.
0: This is the thing. They told me there would be only one. So then when two, three, four come out, I'm like, what's this shit? You told me. You made me a promise. Uh, right. All, right. Yep. All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, All right. <laughs> All
1: right. Number eight of the box office is Higher Learning, uh, which we covered yes. in this podcast. Okay. I knew uh, some Angelica, of these movies sounded familiar. I don't know how you feel about Higher Learning, the John Singleton's third film. Third film, right? Yes. I'm...
2: Not, I'm... Uh, no comment on John Singleton. So no comment. Okay. Yeah. Fair I'm enough. Leave that. Mm-hmm. You've,
1: also, got murder in the first, an underrated crime thriller, starring a, like a prison movie, starring uh, yeah. Kevin
0: Bacon. Right. Mm-hmm. That um, was one of like several '90s. Bacon wants to get his best supporting actor he gets, nomination. He movies. gets like a sag nom, he gets close right. or whatever. Right. He gave uh, up good, being a leading d- man and took supporting roles and kept on almost getting nominated. Mm. And then, and then you've got the 1994 Little Women, uh,
1: mm. still oh. hanging around with Christian Bale. Oh, little Christian uh, Bale. Kiki Dunst and Mm -hmm. Winona, obviously. Trini Alvarado. uh, Absolutely. Samantha Mathis. All those good people. Claire Danes. Good people. Um, Yeah. Not a bad movie. Jillian Armstrong, speaking of. Yeah. 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 So that's, yeah, but in the Mouth of Madness, no, it's just another sad tale of like, you read the reviews and a lot of the reviews, once again, are like. Carpenter almost had me. And then he goes all in on fucking makeup and special effects. Like the weird f- guard that these critics had against like schlock. I know.
2: But now, you know, I think more people dig in the mouth of madness and definitely see it for what it's worth. I think it's definitely gained an appreciation. Although I still feel sometimes it's underappreciated even by people who did Carpenter. Like it's not usually the first movie. Of his that people will mention, even though it's like one of the first to pop into my head personally.
0: Yeah, it, this is definitely top tier for me. Yeah. Um, me too. And this is a top yeah. five, maybe top three. I don't know. We'll, we'll, I'll yeah, get to my like Carpenter rankings. Yeah, th- it's
2: like top two, three for me.
0: But this feels like uh, this is followed by another sort of major career shift, right? I mean, this is sort of the last carpenter movie that feels kind of classically carpenter mm. and they all get a lot more bombastic after this um yeah because
1: the next one is village of the damned then escape mm. from la vampires i've only i haven't seen in years but i remember being very bombastic angelica do you mars. like any of these sort of later ghosts of mars and the war do you like any of the later like sort of end of career carpenters
2: no i honestly it's not on my wavelength the way his earlier works are. I can yeah, like appreciate yeah. parts of them, is what I've noticed, but they don't really have the gut punch effect that something like in the mouth of madness has.
1: Well, I'm ex- I, Griff. I considering this series has basically been all bangers. I am very intrigued by how this last chunk is going to go. But oh, totally! I, it'll be fun. Me too. Yeah.
0: Me too. Yeah. I'm curious, but yeah. uh, I I do feel a little. It feels a little bittersweet this episode because it's like right that it's the the final like agreed on
1: masterpiece. This the is rest, probably the last masterpiece. Like, eh. right. right,
0: right, yeah, right. Unless I I come in with some radical vampires. Yeah, take, you're gonna squint. You you know? Well,
1: some people love vampires. Some people love vampires.
0: Some people do. Bella Swan. Bella Swan loves vampires.
2: <laughs> oh, she sure, does. Yeah, um, she sure yeah. does. She does. One she does. She loves yeah. She does. Um, can I just say that? one of the lines that has stuck with me with this movie is reality is not what it used to be because Ugh. damn, isn't that the truth That's about the truth. everything we're going through
0: right That's now? That's what I'm saying. Even I have David's to admit i joking about it. You have to admit, but every one of these movies I rewatch them, I'm like, this one hits too hard. Carpenter was fucking ahead of the curve, and he saw it all, and everything feels like a fucking John Carpenter movie now. Like, it used to be him heightening his perception of reality to a satirical bent, and now it just feels like a Carpenter movie. Now everything's at that click.
2: Oh, totally. We're living in very surreal, devastating, destabilizing times, and what's a better movie to watch it like Five in the morning than in the mouth of madness to remind you of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I love uh, watching these movies, I and mean, then I hate when the movie ends and I look outside my window.
2: And it's like, ah, yes, I guess I shall return mm. to this hell that we call our current reality. Yeah, wow.
0: Just as, yeah. you know, less compelling cinematography. Yeah, oh, um, much
2: less. And the people aren't as hot. No, no,
0: no, no. It's not as well written definitely uh, not <laughs> angelica people should read all of your work you're one of the best people out there writing about movies and, and uh i i think in particular you you write about uh acting particularly well uh thank you i i think that's a blind spot of a lot of critics and i i anytime you go in deep on a movie star I, I, it's it's a must read for me
2: thank you that really means a lot um Acting is one of my favorite things to write about when it comes to film because it's such an, there's such an, uh, you know, kind of elusive quality to it. It's hard to kind of grab your, your hand around what an actor is actually doing and how it interacts with the editing, the lighting, and every the directing, so on and so forth. Um, but I have some acting essays that are going to be coming out soon. I'm really excited to start writing more about acting. Um, cool. I don't know. I'm just trying to challenge myself as a critic and keep leveling up. You know what I mean?
0: Love it. Yeah, excited to read it. Thank you so much Thank for doing Thank you for doing the show. Yeah. You'll be back.
2: Thank you, guys. This was a lot of fun, and I look forward to coming back and uh, cursing a lot.
3: Absolutely. Oh yeah. yeah. We, <laughs> we love cursing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking rules yeah fucking rules yeah it's cool <laughs> uh, yeah Shit.
0: yeah and thank all of you fuckers for listening uh thank you to fucking marie Barty for our social media joe bowen and pat rounds for our artwork Lay montgomery and the great american novel for our theme song uh you can listen to their new album extremely loud and incredibly online wherever music is found uh, thank you to J.J. Birch and Nick Laureano for our research and A.J. McKeon and uh, Alex Barron for our research editing i every time now that there's so many more names every time i'm worried i'm gonna flip everyone's name i'm gonna give people the <laughs> <Do> wrong <it. laughs> credit or combine two names into some portmanteau or whatever whatever i'm doing fine i'm in the mouth of madness mm. uh go to blankies.com for some real nerdy shit and go to patreon.com slash blank check for blank check special features where we do uh commentaries on franchises we're finishing up uh the mummy the modern mummies the three Frasers. And the Tom Cruise mummy, uh, it, its own weird form of uh, modern horror. But what comes after that? Can we say it at this point? When's this episode coming out? Mm. This episode is coming out October thirty first, Halloween itself.
2: <gasps> what? Oh my goodness! Are you? See- Why didn't you tell me that before? Should, I would have a spooky him? ass energy.
3: All right, wait, wait. Can we get some clean spooky takes, and we'll put them. We'll just intersperse them throughout the episode. <laughs>
2: it's just me going wow pinhead is hot did anybody else think pinhead was hot just me cool
0: we'll put that throughout (laughs) the episode a couple of times (laughs) Yep. (laughs) we'll just sprinkle that that. yeah uh no i guess we should announce in in the spirit of halloween that in november santa claus is coming to town on the blend (laughs) check patreon we're doing the tim allen santa claus trilogy that's true that's our disgusting end of oh the year. God. Yep. We'll be
1: subjecting ourselves <laughs> to
0: those. <laughs> that I would like to reclaim as upscale horror. I would like to <laughs> make the case. Maybe Lamb is not horror, but the Santa Claus trilogy is.
2: It's deranged enough. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. It's body horror. Oh it's god. Body goes yeah. through some weird shit. It just grows fucking fast. It's true. He goes back and forth a couple times. He's got evil robots in the third one. Anyway, I don't know. That's our episode on uh, In the Mouth of Madness. <laughs> Next week, tune in for uh, Village of the Damned. And as always, what can I say? Pinhead's kind of hot. <laughs>